Hey there, and welcome to episode 12 of We Have Such Films to Show You. Uh, I am uh, your alpha host, uh, Josh Millard. Uh, with me, as always, is your Omega host, uh, Yakov Grinberg. Hey, everybody. You know, I always I keep saying with you with, with me as always, and uh, it, every single time it makes me think of that bit from uh, Wayne's World when they've got bought out and it's they're doing the first episode of the new corporate version of the show and they've got the voiceover announcer and he's like Wayne Muh. and with him as always Garth Algar or Garth and uh, and then later Garth is like with him as always and he seems really upset about it and uh, and so basically what I'm saying is I'm sorry if that's upsetting to you that I say that I I, I, I say it out of affection and you know vague terror at trying to sound like I know what I'm doing I kind of like the idea of being Garth. I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we got that (laughs) taken care of. For for those of you who aren't aware, you know, uh, Josh just took like, I don't know, 12 Vicodin? No, Uh, kidding. I was up late. I was up late uh, hanging out with some people. It was a a good time. But, uh, you know, I I seriously got home at like 12.30. And that's that's not late for people to stay up late, but I don't really stay up late anymore. And so that's like, uh, man, what is, what is going on here? Uh, so yeah, uh, if, if I'm a little low energy, if I just sort of drone on or just like we get weird pauses that just don't fill themselves, I, uh, I apologize in advance, but, uh, but that's what you're here for. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta pick up the slack. You gotta, you gotta fill in the gaps. You gotta putty those cracks. You got a. Uh, uh, You're about uh, to scotch- break into song because yeah. that rhymed. <laughs> I'm so tired. It's the all singing, all dancing podcast. Yes, this is our musical episode now, by the way. Uh, podcast. Oh, that's what we're doing. We're podcasting about Prophecy. That's right. Uh, 1996 uh, Christopher Walken film. And uh, we've been talking about this in bits and pieces. Uh, Back when we were pushing our way through the Hellraiser films, because mm-hmm. uh, it turns out that there's a weird production relationship between the later Hellraiser films and the later Prophecy films that I didn't yep. even know existed before we started doing this. There's a Prophecy 4 and 5 uh, that Christopher Walken is not in, which is probably why I never got around to seeing them. But uh, but yeah, he's in 1, 2, and 3, and we just started to kick into yep. Prophecy number 1 here, the story of... Uh, a bunch of angels having a, a real nasty spat and humans getting caught in the mix. Yeah. And you, did, did you notice that this, this this movie had like half of the cast of Pulp Fiction? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, got um, it's got Walken, it's got um, Eric Stoltz, it's got Amanda Plummer, it's got Virginia Madsen, who's Michael Madsen's sister, who played the <laughs> other Vega brother in Reservoir Dogs. And he was brothers with the uh, Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction. Right. Which I never, that's a connection I never made until like years later. I never, like, I was like, wait, I was like, wait Vega, Vega, oh my God. <laughs> and it's got Elias Coteus getting into a car crash, like the movie Crash. <laughs> I was, you know, I was trying to figure out where I knew him from, because I knew I knew him from this, but he looked too familiar for it just to have been this film because I haven't seen this in a while and, and he was really feeling familiar and then yeah I looked at it and was like oh Crash which uh, we had a screening of this is yeah the David Cronenberg film Crash the one yeah. about people who were uh, car crash fetishists yes uh, not, not the other that, one yeah whatever that recent one was that was not about uh, weird car crash sex it was about racism uh, it's not nearly as fun no uh, 
but yeah, I, uh, I, we, we had a screening of the Cronenberg crash uh, at my college campus because we had a nice big uh, couple of projectors. We had a couple of 35 slash 70 millimeter projectors in an auditorium Ooh. so we could put on like real uh, real films. <laughs> See what <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I, I apparently did get enough sleep, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's all, it's coming, it's all coming back to me. Um, but yeah, so we, we screened that and that was, it was, it was a weird film to show to a bunch of college students who weren't like, you know, film or art culture students. Cause it was like a, a, a techie school mostly. And so we had a big combination of like nerds and, and Wait, so was there jocks. people walking into this having no idea what this movie oh, yeah. is? That's I think beautiful. pretty much. I think pretty much nobody <laughs> knew what they were getting into, <laughs> except for like those of us screening it. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so you've got a whole uh, you've got a whole bunch of people. And the thing is, people do all sorts of weird, terrible things in that film. You know, it's uh, aside from just being huge assholes. You know, like James Spader's character is like not a likable guy. No, uh, which you know, it's James Spader playing a character in a movie. So go figure. But uh, he, you know, nobody in the film is particularly likable. They're all kind of assholes. They're all narcissistic. They're all tied up in this weird car crash fetishism. But all this goes by, and people mostly just like you know, sort of laugh and cheer and say "whoa" at stuff. And then a guy goes down on another guy, and that's everybody's like, "Ew!" It's like seriously, you motherfuckers. They're like, oh, I'm okay with car sex, but uh, <laughs> a but I don't know about yeah. That's that's kind of gross. So yeah, it was kind of an odd thing. But anyway, and that's what I I think that's maybe the thing that stuck in I, my head. I, I also actually have a funny crash screening story. It was I was going to see? I was it was a date actually. I was going to see a. Um, they were showing it at the Museum of Modern Art. They have their own theater, and so I get there, and you know, there's this big big line. I'm just like, huh, that's kind of weird. And, you know, there's all sorts of people on the line, including, like, a bunch of, like, you know, rather old-looking, you know, Manhattan, you know, Upper East Side kind of, I mean, Upper West Side kind of rich people. And I'm just like, well, that's odd. They, these people don't seem to be the, the, the type to appreciate, you know, a Cronenberg movie about fucking and car crashes. And so the movie starts, and there's that scene with uh, Deborah Kerr Unger having sex against the airplane. And I shit you not, I think every person I sort of look, you know, kind of, you know, Sort of uh, a scan said while while I was there online, they all got up and left. <laughs> I, I think they were looking for the other crash <laughs> and did not bother reading the. Uh, uh, yeah, that was funny. Oh, I'm 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 glad that that is a thing that can happen. Basically, <laughs> it, uh, it brings me joy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Elias Comedius, <laughs> he's in this movie basically, and he's uh, on uh, the season four or five finale in season five or six premiere of CSI New York as the villain. Oh, oh okay. That's why you were texting about that. Uh, well, that and I've or, just been or, on a big CSI yeah. New York kick. It's yeah. always extra with the speaking part every single time. <laughs> Sorry, I just ruined CSI New York, the whole thing for everybody forever. Oh, well. <sighs> So start watching NCIS huh? instead. Prophecy, prophecy. Yeah, and, and there's, uh, there's and Viggo Mortensen's in this as well, yeah, and, and Walken. Uh, Adam, Adam Goldberg, Goldberg is great as the uh, yeah the first uh, not quite dead henchman. It's uh, Steve Steve Heitner's Hitner Heitner. I don't know how you say his name, but he's classic that guy guy, the guy who plays the coroner. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's the. I was just like, I can't place him, and I'm just like, is that like almost Tom Arnold? And then it's like, oh, okay, he's, he's a character. He's a character actor. That oh, he's Banya on Seinfeld. That's how I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, guy's done a ton of stuff. He's and he's always yeah. great as just sort of that guy. But uh, but that's the cast. Let's <laughs> that's the cast of this film, and uh, and then some other people as well. Uh, I love. Okay, I, I I just I really really love Christopher Walken. I've probably mentioned this in passing, but like he's he's like if I had to pick just one guy to see work ever again, I'd go with him just because I love everything he does. I uh, you know I, it's. Uh, an unironic appreciation for his specific sort of style and a sense of weirdness. And the fact that it always drives me crazy that he gets sort of dismissed as the crazy guy when he's just like sort of this slightly odd, intense guy who can act in a whole lot of, you know, types of things. I mean, he's done straight ahead drama. He's done, you know, comedy work and he's, he's just a, he's, he's a fun actor to watch. He really enjoys working. He's done a lot of terrible films because he just, he would rather go make a film than not make a film just because it was bad. So, so it's kind of a joy for me to watch him in pretty much anything. And he gets some, uh, pretty classic walking stuff in this film. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just every time he turns his head, it's like this really just like an owl. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Oh, also did you, did you watch this on Netflix? You know, I, I watched it on both. Uh, I watched this on Netflix uh, yesterday evening and this morning to make some notes. Uh, but previously, I watched it on that box set thing that I bought. Ah. $8 for the 11 films thing. And you know what? They've got all five Prophecy films on one disc. That's not a good sign. And I put it in and watched it. And the thing is, like, tiny. They managed to render a small <laughs> video image. So it's... <laughs> I've got it up on my fucking seven foot projector screen and uh, I'm watching four feet of movie. It's like, uh, this is ridiculous. It's, uh, and that's uh, why it's $8 apparently. Yep. Fool me so, once, I guess. So this is, if anybody watches this on Netflix with the subtitles on, I've mentioned this a thousand times. I watch it with the subtitles on the subtitles for this movie are completely inaccurate. And it's not even in that Netflix way where the subtitles are just like saying something close to what the people are saying, but not exactly on, but just, you know, get that general idea across. Cause that's one thing in this one, whoever transcribed the subtitles did not know what they were hearing so you you end up with things like um, when uh, the uh, the ME the uh, medical examiner tells him that you know we got the results from the uh, mass spectrometer back and the the subtitles say we got the expected trauma back. <laughs> uh, I wonder if they just one, yeah, yeah. Where, um, Lucifer. I don't remember if it's Lucifer. Gabriel says it's. Um, you know, I know about the state of affair uh, state of affairs of yours, and it says state of affairs and jurors. And jurors, like and the, like, like a yeah. rural juror? Yeah, uh, well, like a jury juror. Yeah, yeah, like, like a rural juror. Yeah. And they're, then, they're better um, than urban jurors, they're yeah. the rural juror. The, the single best one, though, was, uh, you know, when Lucifer starts singing, he's like, and just like all love, it withered on the vine? Yeah. The subtitles for it read, and like all love, it withered down the rhine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, man. How does this stuff happen? Well, yeah. I, I can guess how it happens. It just happens through a lack of good Q and A, but uh, or QA. But that's that's not a very good answer. I'm, I'm really I'm bringing us down. Here's that low energy problem. I'm just like droning on about an unfunny thing that I said because that'll make it better to talk about it longer in the abstract. Uh, yeah. So how do you feel about this movie? You know, we never really... Yeah, I, I think I, this is... So most of the movies on this podcast, we both have like a roughly similar level of familiarity with. 
Um, you know, the Hellraiser movies, we, we'd seen just about all of them except for that last one. Um, you know, Cabin in the Woods we both saw and really liked. I saw it a couple of times. Uh, you know, Event Horizon, we both had the same sort of vague familiarity with. But this one, I know that you're a rather big fan of this, and this is actually the first time I'd ever seen it. Oh, excellent. So we've got this... Uh, you know, we've got this disparate take on it that, you know, that's that's the first time I was on this podcast. Yeah, no, I am really curious to, to hear your yeah. impressions. Um, so I liked it. There was there was a lot of sort of incomprehensible dialogue and I I and I can't imagine that was all the closed captioning because I felt <laughs> like there was a lot of non sequiturs in the dialogue. Um but other than that, it was yeah, there was it, it could have the, the parts that are like witty and funny and are explicitly so don't really mesh with the whole like I'm struggling with my faith like sort of you know seriousness of it. So they 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 work on their own, but when you juxtapose them, the movie kind of loses something. I don't know. You know there, what I mean? There, there is some weird tonal stuff in the film. Yeah, there's there, it seems like they've got an overall feel, and then there's things that jar with it. And it's funny, because sometimes they are actually surprisingly effective little bits of witticism. And it's like, wow, in a movie that wasn't trying to be so serious face... Uh, yeah, there's would, uh, the um, there's a scene towards the end when he gets um, when he you know like resurrects Amanda Plummer to be his new uh, zombie assistant, and there's this scene and you hear like country music playing and the scene is just it's inside of you know like a, a truck stop diner, and there's like a guy in a cowboy hat and he's just like looking at his side at something really weird and then there's this slow pan and you see Gabriel and Amanda Plummer still in her hospital wear just like sitting there staring dead ahead. And I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Um, that was, yeah. And it's kind of odd because this director didn't really do anything except for this movie. He wrote Highlander. I know that. Really? Yeah, wow, he wrote Highlander. That's a connection Highlander. I did not know. He sold it back uh, when he was an undergrad. So he wrote that, you know, pretty, pretty early on. Um, he wrote Backdraft. Huh. And then he did a Tales from the Crypt episode, but then as far as directing, all he did was this and that Tales from the Crypt episode. And then he's got writing credits on some other stuff, but that's about it. Um, you know, he's credited for characters for a lot of the Prophecy and uh, the Hellraiser fan films. Yeah, but other than they that, use some of the callback characters. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's yeah he doesn't have yeah. a lot going on. Which is kind of weird, because I mean, it, this this movie was clearly shot by somebody, or rather directed by somebody who knew what they were doing. Um, you know, it largely, wasn't like, yeah, largely, I mean, it wasn't like they made mistakes, but they weren't like amateurish mistakes. They were just like bad decisions of filmmaking. Yeah, I would say there was there's a lot of there was a lot of rough editing in it. I felt yeah, it, like it's hard to say which of it was rough editing in a, this is the idea I have and I'm just bad at conceiving how to edit something and how much of it was just editing that, you know, was rough because they were trying to pull something off in post that didn't go so great. But, right. uh, but yeah, no, it, 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 it's a reasonably well put together film. It's, it's, I, I feel like it's got some, some structural issues to it, but yeah, nothing like you say, it's not amateurish. It doesn't look like someone shooting this, you know, based on no concept of what a movie should look like or anything. Um, Here, here's the, also one other thing that bothered me. Does the movie start in Arizona? Cause the, the whole chimney rock thing, that's supposed to take place in Arizona, but does the movie start in Arizona? Because I remember about the, the opening scene with Simon, the angel looking yeah, at yeah, yeah. And then angel skeleton. The, yeah. I don't the, know. No, 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 not the angel skeleton. The one where, you know, where he gets into a fight with Uziel and, um, 
Thomas is first brought in as like the detective on it, and he's just like, you know, I only work nights. All of that. Does that take place in Arizona? No, that's got to be somewhere else. Cause because like, the guy says he's retiring to Arizona, right? It was well, like yeah, one well, of the other cops. I feel like that was just a weird fucking line is what that was. It was like, so so I this, this has to be in some city, uh, some unspecified city. I don't know if you even got an impression of what city it would be. No, but, I didn't. You know, yeah, it, it's somewhere. Some city in America. It's got a church and this. apartment buildings and an alleyway. And a, and a, and a, you know, pathology department. And, oh, uh, yeah, that's true. You know, it's got a police force uh, that can support, uh, you know, a reasonable number of police. So, yeah, it's, it's some city and then – and I'm going to say not in Arizona because if it was a city, if it's supposed to be Phoenix or something, mm-hmm. and then he's like, where's Chimney Rock, this place in the state that I'm – yeah. Nah, so, uh, so, yeah, I think it's some city somewhere else and then we go to Chimney Rock. I thought so, you were talking about the opening – bit with Simon where he's doing his sort of narration and he's standing over the skeleton of an angel and I don't know where that's supposed to be. I was assuming that was somewhere in heaven. Yeah, that's yeah, I think that was too. You know what? There was that angel skeleton and then there was also a hole in the ground and I'm not even sure what was that supposed to be? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was where an angel collided with the ground. I it was it was not clear. I don't yeah. know what was going on there. And, oh, I'm sorry, where you were going somewhere? Oh, yeah, yeah. So the thing that bothers me is that so when um, Thomas finally makes it to Chimney Rock and he's introducing himself to Catherine, he's just like, you know, I'm Thomas Daggett with the police. And I'm just like, he doesn't have any jurisdiction here. He can't possibly. And yet nobody gives a shit. He's a loose cannon. A, a yeah. lot of people don't give a shit about a lot of things in this yeah, film. It's kind of confused me, honestly. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm wondering it's a, if the angels have some sort of power that calms people down or if everybody's just stupid from the heat or I, I, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of like nonchalant. It's like, oh, a vagrant. I'm sure that'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's man. There's there's so many, we we should talk a little. We yeah. should we should give it a quick synopsis here for anybody <laughs> who uh, hasn't seen it in a while or hasn't seen it at all. Is just being a sport with us here. But uh, this is a film about uh, angels and uh, humans and not liking each other very much. And Christopher Walken plays the Archangel Gabriel, which is no small role to step into. Uh, Eric Stoltz uh, plays uh, an angel named Simon, who uh, I think in the theory used to be Gabriel's assistant, or maybe Michael's assistant, the, the angel Michael. Uh, and uh, they, they're, they're down on Earth because they need to try and find, as, as the film reveals over its course, they're, they're looking for a dark soul, a real nasty son of a bitch human who died and his soul needs collecting because there's a war in heaven. There's a second war in heaven uh, after heaven war two. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Lucifer back in the day had a falling out with God and got cast down and took some with him, like the third of the host or whatever and started up hell. And so got his own business. And I think that's, that's basically the first war in heaven. And then in theory, things were relatively okay. But in fact, there's a second war of heaven. It's been going on for a long time. The film is not super clear about this, but it's been going on for a long time and angels are fighting each other up in heaven and heaven is closed for business to humans while they fight this out. And it's a, uh, it's an odd thing. Cause uh, yeah, it's like some of the angels are unhappy that God basically let humans ascend into his love. And so they're fighting with the angels who are still loyal to God and his plan. And so those angels are all fighting each other and this terrible soul, they need to come down and get him. Gabriel wants to get him because he's one of the ones who's like angry at God for being nice to humans. And he wants to get this nasty soul on his side because that'll turn the tide of the war in heaven. And then boom, everything will be okay. As far as he's concerned. 
So you got angels coming down and they're looking for the soul and the soul gets hidden inside of a little Native American girl in Chimney Rock and and uh, then they try and get it out and Lucifer gets involved at the end because he doesn't want the war in heaven to uh, end with Gabriel winning because that'd be bad for business for him because Gabriel's such a psychopath now that heaven would basically be a second hell and Lucifer's like, hey, I've got that trademarked. Uh, and yeah. mixed up in all of this is Thomas Daggett, our, our cop slash former, not quite a priest, uh, trying to figure everything out and, and deal with his struggles with faith and, and God and whatnot. And, um, yeah, there was, um, and also he wrote a thesis on angels that's called a thesis on angels. Yes. That was, he was, yeah, he was, he was, um, yeah, the, the movie opens actually with, uh, him like getting his priestly rights. Is that, is that what that was? Like doing the priestly rights, being confirmed as a priest. I, I'm not yeah, sure what the terminology yeah, yeah, here I think, is. Yeah. I, I don't know my, uh, yeah. my, my, my priesting that well, but yeah, yeah, it seemed clearly he was being inducted into yeah. the priesthood and then, uh, had a freak out and presumably did not is what yep. happened there. Instead he joined the police and grew bangs. And, um, you know, it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> I misparsed that as, as like some, like you decide the city he's working in is Grubangs, you know, Grubangs, <laughs> Pennsylvania, G-R-U-B-A-N-G-S. It's, uh, it's, it's about 30 miles from Philly. <laughs> did you, um, did you actually notice I, I, uh, when he's like that opening scene, um, when he's doing like the priest thing, he looks a lot like Trent Reznor. Kind of, yeah, kind of. He also like looks like Reznor Matthew Fox, now. though, or, or or not him, but there's another guy, ah, somebody in that open scene, kind of looked like Matthew Fox from Lost, uh, Jack. Uh, that was all. That was, that's my entire thought. I thought <laughs> someone sort of looked like Matthew Fox. Please continue. <laughs> um, wait, no, that was it. That was that, that yeah. was the entirety yeah. of my observation. Well, I'm glad we, we both got something out of that. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Ah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stutter a little bit, so you think I'm gonna say something, and then I'm gonna stop and sip my tea. <laughs> uh, caffeine should help. That's uh, that'll, that'll probably work for us in the long run here. Uh, I want to talk about the opening of the movie. Actually, just this is one of the structural things I thought was a little bit felt a little bit weird. The the movie opens with Simon the Angel. It's uh, a it's a cold open, right? It's it, it it yeah. I I I mean yeah. How do you? Yeah, there's no title screen first. Yeah, is that, yeah. yeah it's, it just opens into that scene with the narration. Yeah. Well, yeah, it opens into narration that then sort of comes up on, you know, slowly fades into Simon staring at that mysterious hole in the, the, the angel skeleton. And it's, everything's red tinged. Uh, but anyway, he opened up on this angel. He sort of narrates a little bit of uh, prophetic shit about the, the war, the second war in heaven. Uh, and then we cut to a Catholic church in a title sequence. Uh, and a bunch of you know music and 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 priests giving the priestly induction thing to the you know proto priests and and Thomas has visions of the war in heaven and freaks out and then we cut to Thomas uh, narrating as a cop yeah and 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 sort of introducing more like you know years have passed and he's a cop now sort of thing. Uh, and then the film ends with him doing sort of a narrated bit of, of you know, well, I guess, you know, God, man, or, or, or devil himself, you know, faith is a choice and, you know, you can lose it, blah, blah, blah. So it's interesting to me that the film didn't just straight up bookend with Thomas because it feels like it really could have 
opened with the scene in the church with the faith and then his narration, and then book ended with his narration at the end and been nice and clean. But then you've got that Simon thing up front. And so the film basically opens with two different characters doing a, a, a somewhat like what's going on here narration thing in a row. And it feels kind of clumsy. And I kind of wonder if it was actually structured that way from the start on purpose or if it's something where they opened originally. Because if they opened with Thomas, I would have liked it structurally better. But I could see yeah. audiences being like, I have no idea what's going on in this movie. And it sort of slow plays the details on the angel stuff. So maybe they threw on the Simon thing just to make it easier to have people have some sense of what the overall arc of the film is going to be. Yeah, I mean, because the way they introduce Simon, it, it's really not quite clear who he is or what, what he's doing. So it, to, to make it really obvious like that at the beginning, that, that was probably, that, I, I feel like that was a. Uh, you know that that might have been like the thing that they shot last when they realized that while editing that they couldn't you know it didn't really hold together that scene where Thomas meets Simon because you're not really quite sure who Simon is. Yeah, and I think even though he's been, perching. Yeah. Oh, the perching thing. Well, yeah, and I want to say yeah. I feel like the film could have worked a little bit better in its opening as sort of a straight up sort of like sort of contemporary noir procedural sort of thing if they yeah. had chosen to just go straight in and have Thomas be confused and have us be confused with him. And I, I think I would have liked that a little bit better than what yeah. we got, which was like, by the way, this is totally a biblical mythology story and now a cop. You know, it's, uh. anyway, There's an issue with like familiarity where the angels know everybody by name because they're angels and they keep referring to people by name. So between that and like just sort of the blase way everybody's treating all the crazy ass shit that's going on, you, it's kind of hard to figure out who's familiar with whom from before and who's just meeting who. Yeah, it's um, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. People, people have more and less of a reaction than they should at times. It feels like it's, it's a little bit odd. Uh, the, the, the perching um, thing. I, I like the perching thing. That's a, yeah. one of the little touches. And it's a little bit goofy, but still it works so well as a simple visual characterization. The fact that you know a new character must be another angel just because you see them perching when they're introduced. You're like, oh, it's another, it's another angel. What's going on here? That, yep. I thought that was a nice little visual touch. There was um there was just a brief moment in the uh, in the that scene where Thomas meets Simon for the first time, and Simon turns to him like with like a like maybe his thesis or just something. He was just like, "Do you you know do you still believe in this?" <laughs> and Simon, I mean, and Thomas replies, "Are you asking me as a cop?" I'm just like what? Why would why would why would he be asking you about <laughs> your beliefs on God as a cop? Do you is, is there something I should know about the police department in this state? Are you guys yeah. you know, police slash vampire hunters, or? And you know, it's it's obviously that it's a rhythmic setup for him mm -hmm. to come back and say, "No, I'm asking you as a priest." Uh, yeah. But but yeah, it, 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 there's a few lines in the film that feel like they they probably felt really clever on the page, and then in execution, it kind of falls flat because like, yeah. Eh, yeah, it's a little stilted. There's also a couple things in the movie where uh, there's there there's some crosstalk in dialogue and in that scene yeah. where, where Thomas comes in and Simon is there and Thomas is like trying to be like hey you know you know, you know, turn around stop talk you know and saying some mm -hmm. copy stuff while pointing a gun at him and Simon's ignoring him and Simon just keeps talking and I feel like it's a really hard thing to do because in a sense you could say it was really accurate because 
Simon was ignoring Thomas and Thomas was talking and Simon was mm-hmm. talking, but at the same time, it really felt artificial. It didn't feel like some Altman-esque sort of naturalistic uh, right. stumbling dialogue. It just felt like they just looped two separate pieces of dialogue and ran them at the same time there on the mixing board. There was so much ADR in this movie. There was a lot of, lot of looped dialogue, a lot of replaced dialogue. Yeah, and... Yeah, there's there was the the most obvious time. It's when uh, Catherine and Mary are um, sitting on like that stoop outside. Oh God, yeah. And then, um, you know, like Mary runs in first to get cake, and Catherine chases after her, screaming like, "I'm gonna get you!" And as she's receding into the distance, the voice stays the same volume. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, there, there's there's a few sort of kind of obvious once you see it things like that that were kind of like, uh, "Really, you, you guys didn't?" But I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've never I've never been in the process you know involved in the process of trying to loop dialogue after the fact. It may be you know a huge pain in the ass to get right. There's it, a couple it, from what I know, it is like an absolutely a giant pain. Yeah, because I mean it's not just the timing thing. You got to get the actor to be able to nail the line with the right intonation at the right timing to match the lips. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to do yeah like like sort of room treatment on it, and that seems like its whole other bag. There's there's a there's a scene uh, later in the film where Gabriel's confronting Simon in the abandoned classroom in the school, and they clearly looped a couple lines, not because they mm-hmm. l- didn't sound right. In, like, like, the delivery seemed fine, but the the room sound was all wrong. It was like, it was kind of an echoey room, and Watkins shouting something, and so there's a lot of sort of just reverb in the room as he shouts, and then for like two lines, there's none. <laughs> and uh, on the one hand, it's got to be hard to match that up. On the other hand, if what you're doing is looping, you know, put a reverb unit on that line. You know, yeah. try and get some of the feel because it just it just jumped out when it didn't need to. And that's it, it's always a weird thing to me when something like that just sort of sticks out like a sore thumb for not any real clear reason, other than maybe they were really in a hurry. Yeah, I'm entirely sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but have you seen um, Dark Place? The uh, it was a uh, BBC show that was done basically like as a '80s supernatural um, soap opera that takes place in a hospital, but it, it's yeah, a yeah. parody of that. Yeah, there's this in like the first episode. There's a scene where um, they they just do like that looping like background noise thing where the camera just just pans to a character who starts talking and like the background hiss just completely cuts out and dialogue is completely clear. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. I you know let, okay an, another sort of editing thing and like like there there are there are weird cuts in the movie that I I I feel like I I'm really curious about the process where these ended up. We talked a little bit about the idea of Thomas finding Thomas the cop who wasn't quite a priest finding Simon the angel in his apartment and they have this brief religious conversation uh at you know initially at gunpoint cuz like Thomas is like what the fuck are you doing in my apartment? Uh, but then he, he puts his gun down and they talk a little bit and I'm asking, he was a priest, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then, and then like abruptly in that conversation, like, you know, they, they trade a couple lines. It doesn't come to what felt like any real conclusion to me. Uh, just more, there was a good, like, you know, movie specific one liner in there to set up some of the religious, whatever. And then we just cut and we cut to a, a nicely done at, for a, uh, for a budget friendly, you know, here comes another angel, a sequence, uh, yeah, like yeah, a, a, a silhouette against a brick wall at night, and then uh, I'm sorry, you go ahead. Uh, so, 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 we cut to the silhouette, and and then and then Uziel, uh, we find out he is later. 
is there, puts on some sunglasses, bird perches outside some building. We don't know what building at night. Mm -hmm. The implication from the cut is probably outside of Thomas's apartment building because it's the only building we were just relating to. Yeah, I'm just Uh, like, is this a flashback or a flash forward? So so he Uziel perches, uh, mm-hmm. Uziel with the sunglasses, Uziel Uzborn, if you will, <laughs> kind of with the, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's he, he, perching outside the building. Uh, we don't know what building it is. It's sort of implied that it's Thomas's by the direction of the cut, because mm-hmm. what other building is it? Then the sun comes up in a time lapse. Uziel's still sitting there. He gets up. He jumps up in the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and inside the building... Uh, is Simon Which looks the angel. identical to uh, looks identical apartment. to Thomas's apartment. It's it's Simon in there, and he's emptying out his pockets and stuff. And the thing is, yeah, it's like what the fuck. So did is this like a whole day later? Was that like did we just lose you know ten hours to the overnight after the confrontation in Thomas's apartment? Is this Thomas's apartment? Is Simon still in Thomas's apartment? Did he spend the night? Because he's and going it, about the apartment really casually, like it's his. So yeah. And 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 later later they find evidence of a ruckus in this yeah. apartment building, uh, and you know Thomas shows up there as a cop. So clearly it's not Thomas's apartment because like they'd be like, "What the fuck happened in your apartment?" Rather than, "Hey, you know what's going on here?" You know, and, and so it's, the whole thing is really yeah. That was I don't know what the fuck is going on, and it's just it seemed, it just seemed like editing that for no reason led to this confusing situation. Yeah, well, uh, I, what, what I thought was going on is that the, what they were going to do is that the, that was actually a flashback to the previous night. Then he perches, and then it's morning, and then he's going to jump into Thomas and Simon's conversation. But that's not what happens at all. And there's actually two things. One, oh, well, two things that sort of bugged me about that. The first one was when Simon realizes that Uziel's about to jump through the window because he can smell him, he also jumps towards the window and like collides them in midair. And now, as far as I know, they, they, they don't really have wings when they're on Earth. They can't, they, nothing has demonstrated the fact that they can fly or control the path. Why didn't he just step like five feet to the side? Seriously, I had the exact same questions. Like, bumping into him is your best move? Why not like, you know, hold out something sharp or step to the side or get ready to judo chop the dude or put like the table in front of the window. And I realized it didn't have a lot of time was the implication, but still bumping into each other. It's just like into the air majestically and yeah, smack just, into him. just stay right where you are, plant your feet and get ready to sock the guy in the nose when he comes through the window. Jeez. It was, it was odd. That's a lot. That, that, I would say, and that kind of typifies the oddness of the movie. And to some extent, I, I could say the generous answer to a lot of these things is that we just cannot understand the ways of angels because they're fundamentally alien to us. They're different things, which would fit a little bit with some yep. of the thesis of the film. But I don't think that's really what was going on there. I think yeah. it was just a shitty bit of action direction Yeah, uh, the for other, lack of uh, something better to do with it. I don't know. The other thing that bugged me was, and this again goes back to like the nonchalance of everybody, was um, when the other cop like finds Thomas Daggett's book on the scene of like the the, the murder that they're they're guessing because it's Uziel's because uh, Simon kills Uziel by throwing him in front of a really conveniently timed car, like barreling down the down the alleyway enough to kill him, um, but. They they find one of like Thomas's books there, but he doesn't. You know, in in any other thing, that would be like, so you're a suspect now because we found your shit at the murder scene. But you know, the cop, the other cop, just sort of reads from it while Simon tries to do some. Yeah, act- been- I mean, not Simon, while Thomas tries to do some actual detective work, and then that's it. That's that's the most they make of it. 
Yeah, it, it's really odd because it, it's not. It's not like it's not like Thomas is a best-selling author, and the guy happened to have a copy of his latest novel. This was his, you know, like seminary thesis or whatever. You know, this this is presumably a thesis he wrote while. Uh, in the process of becoming a priest, there can't be that many fucking copies of this thing sitting around. So the fact that there, it really should have been like, a, "What is going on here, Tommy? You know, you not you're holding out on us. You can read and write, but you're holding out on us. You're consorting with a dead guy. You know, yeah. it's it, it really yeah, on a procedural. Just, it'd be like the dun dun dun. Scene. Yeah, people are super unimpressed by things that you would think would be kind of meaningful to the local cop shop. It's it's an odd thing. That car. Let's talk about this for Wait, a second. Wait, no, before before the car, there there's one other. thing. I think there was an AIDS reference in that scene. Did you notice that? Was there? Oh, so what happens is, you know, the uh, the 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 regular, the beat cop, he's just like, you know, there's something that your, you know, your your brilliant detective mind might construe as signs of a struggle, and he opens the door, and there's like blood and broken glass everywhere, which was pretty funny. Yeah, it was a funny but, line. Um, the first thing that Thomas asks before he goes in there or touches anything, he asks, "Has the room been tested?" Hmm. Did you notice that? I, I, I can't think of that. anything else it could be other than than AIDS, because this movie's from what? And it was shot in nineteen ninety three. Yeah, I, yeah, it may, yeah, ninety, yeah, ninety three, ninety four, somewhere in there. <laughs> they were shooting it. I don't know. I don't remember that at all. I wonder if maybe uh, that's another shitty subtitle that gotcha. Yeah, because uh, well, yeah. Because yeah, I, I don't remember. Yeah, talk. yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll have to take a look. Okay, well, let me talk about. Uh, I want to talk briefly about. Uh, I want to talk about the car right before the car, since this is a scene that leads directly to it, like in the next edit. Uh, so Simon and Uziel are having their fight after doing the jump through the window chest bump thing. Uh, Simon manages to incapacitate Uziel by pushing him through a window and spearing his neck on some glass, and so he's letting sitting there gargling and and simon pulls off his ozzy osborne sunglasses and then he's got no eyes because angels don't have eyes and unless they're simon yeah well or 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 gabriel. gabriel but in both cases i think it's the idea is they're manifesting them as an affectation mm-hmm. uh they don't really have them they're just sort of having them to not freak people out uh so he pulls out the sunglasses sees his empty eye sockets and then picks him up by the head and sort of does so by sticking his thumbs in the eye sockets and not to say that that wouldn't i'm sure hurt or whatever but it seems like a weird move to sort of do the classic poking someone's eyes out move to someone who doesn't literally have eyes i just thought that was a little bit weird i I thought it was like was he getting leverage with his thumbs yeah which is ridiculous like he should have just picked the guy up by the trunk if he just wanted to pick him up but anyway and then he chucks him through the through the window chucks uziel through the window uziel falls you know four stories to the ground uh, and then is immediately hit by some red car barreling down the alley. Now, here's the thing. He's hit by the car and thrown about 10 feet before the car rams into the end of the alley, the brick wall or metal retaining in front of the brick wall in the alley. What was this car doing? Who was yeah. driving a car at 40 miles an hour down a narrow alley towards a brick wall that no one has anything to say about this afterwards about? That's the thing. There's, like, if um, it was- there's a guy that I'm entirely sure is the driver in one of the scenes when, um, you know, when he's coming out, it's like, you know, I only work, you know, the, uh, the night shift. That, that scene when they're walking down the alleyway towards the car, another cop is talking to a guy who's just doing the like, I don't know what happened motions. And I think that was the driver. <sighs> okay, I, I, I would like to go make, back and see it. It doesn't, doesn't tell us anything. anything. Yeah. Like, like, just, like, it, 
Is it possible that Simon used some magical powers to like floor That's... it? Is it possible? You know, one thing we could say in this, Lucifer gets very involved in the end game of this film, like mm-hmm. explicitly giving advice to our uh, human protagonist to try and help them make sure things go in such a way that Gabriel doesn't successfully steal the evil soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could just assume that anything that doesn't quite make sense is actually Lucifer hanging out, watching the whole thing, and just twiddling some some Satan fingers. And he's like, oh, you know what would be really good? Let's get this Uziel guy out of the way. He's going to really kind of fuck this up. I'll have a guy floor it on his car. He won't know why. He'll just, Wah! you know. But uh, it's a really unsatisfying way to explain things. But yeah. I'm willing to say that in an emergency, if you need a rational explanation for anything, Satan did it. Just Satan was messing with things from behind the scenes but yeah that car it's it's an, it's really emblematic of some of the weirder stuff in the film the fact that you have a car driving down at high speed just to create this situation that the film needs it needs uziel very dead uh so have him get by hit by a car that should have not been there for any reason it's so it's so weird and also the wounds aren't consistent with him getting hit by a car when he's on the autopsy table it's, he's got like a big hole in his chest or something. That's cars don't do that. I think I think the implication was that maybe they actually did some. Uh, oh, that's right. Pulling yeah. stuff like yeah. C- did you notice that the uh, the autopsy scale had a smiley face on it? <laughs> I did not notice that. That's great. Because <laughs> uh, uh, really fits in with like the wacky medical examiner uh, thing, and he was fun. And Simon does a little blow a kiss thing. To uh, oh, they all do, Lucille's right? body, and yeah, it turns out this is just a recurring angel. This, this, and the perching, uh, all, all, all the perches, all the kiss bone. <laughs> you know, speaking of perches, you know, uh, you know what you do if you're an angel and you're in heaven, and <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> can you feel this going badly already? And and you, you, you need you need some new seating. You know, you need some new places to sit. So what you put in is a perches order. <laughs> No, <laughs> I, I, no. <laughs> There's like light shooting out of my eyes, and I'm disintegrating. That's wow. throw out a uh, Wilhelm. Oh, sp- speaking of Wilhelm, now okay. Um, hey, film school time. Uh, the Yay. Wilhelm scream is um, it's a really standard uh, sound effect. You've heard it you, if you just go to YouTube, pull up uh, Wilhelm scream, and I'm well sure we'll put it in the blog post. It's just. Uh, it's just it's just like a scream that they that they've been putting into movies since God, I want to say the forties, maybe the fifties. And to the extent that I, I've heard like them talk about like them being like, you know, people who make film that they don't even they, they try not to use it anymore because it takes people out of the movie because it's such an obvious thing. So they don't use that, but they do use two that I've heard a lot of times before. There was like a cat noise, like a wow. That the really common one, and then there was like the, uh, a sound of like a fire starting, and these two sound effects. I've heard them so many times before, and it was just they—they they were both used at times when the thing that was supposed to be making the sound wasn't there. Like there was no cat, and there was no fire. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, also the line is: "Has the place been dusted?" Ah, see, that makes a lot more sense. Movies a lot, a lot less uh, socially. Uh, <laughs> You know, critical than I thought it was. Damn. <laughs> uh, let's see. Chimney Rock. They end up in Chimney Rock, which uh, this is... I, I've got a whole big thing we're going to talk about uh, in a second here, but uh, leading into that, just because it's thematically appropriate, we, we, we are introduced to Chimney Rock, Arizona, as the home of an implausibly talented children's choir for a town that has literally one K-12 through classroom. 
and uh, they're singing a hymn in this singing, ostensibly yeah. public school. Yeah, and they're singing, and, and it's an old school, you know, some some serious old school sacred liturgical music. You know, they're, they're, I don't even know what the piece Ave was, Maria. but like. According oh, okay. to the captions, so it okay. might not be Ave Maria at all. <laughs> well, it could be. I mean, that's a pretty good guess. There's a lot of Ave Marias. I was just talking about this with uh, my wife yesterday. That uh, yeah, you can't really even just say the Ave Maria because like there's, I mean, there's several famous ones, and then who it's knows not, how many? It's not the one you're thinking of, listeners. It's not yeah. that one. It's a different so it's, one. It's neither the Schubert nor the Bach, probably. Uh, yeah, I didn't immediately recognize it, but I'm not exactly a big student of it. Uh, but yeah, it's like, we've got like 12 kids here out of a classroom of 25. That's the entire school district for the town is this one classroom. And half of them apparently are candidates for the Vienna boys choir. You know, it's like, I, I, it's such a dumb thing. Cause like on the one hand, I understand you've, it's probably more work to create a recording of 12 kids doing a middlingly good school job of a liturgical hymn than it is to just get your hands on the license for an actual solid choir recording. But it's like, it's so obviously no. It's not, have you ever been to a school <laughs> concert that you think this shit is actually going to happen? Because no, it's, it's one of those kids might have a decent set of pipes and the rest will be fine. But they're, you know, they're, they're 8, 10, 12 years old. You know, this, uh. anyway, that sort of sucked me out. of. But that was a big... Uh, a big bit of like, you know, sort of like Catholic trappings. And I want to talk here uh, at a thematic level about uh, basically Catholic horror as, as a, as a genre and as a uh, set of uh, like filmmaking tropes in, in, in movies in general, because mm-hmm. it feels like when you want to go for, for Christian uh, sim, you know, you know, symbolism in a movie, mm-hmm. your reference seem almost always to be specifically Catholic or, 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 you know, Orthodox. Um, and, and my theory is this happens most of the time, uh, just because that's the easy cultural reference. Like everybody, it's not that everybody's like, Oh, well, obviously Catholicism is the specific subset of Christian theology that makes sense for the story. It's more, if you want to say Christianity, you go for some really obvious touchstones and what do you get? You get stuff that's, all over the place in a in a Catholic church. You've got the rites, you got the robes, you got the priests, you got the ostentatious uh, you know, you know, churches and mm-hmm. and decorations and and crucifixes and and so on. All the stuff that Martin Luther did not like <laughs> removed <laughs> from his movement. Yeah, basically I, I I have to imagine how horrified he'd be by this. Cause I kinda I mean, I feel like there's some films that really are trying to be specifically sort of like like The Exorcist. The yeah. Exorcist is very much like it, it's a Catholic horror film. Like, you know, it's not accidental that, that the trappings of Catholicism specifically are all over that film. You know, the idea of the priesthood, you know, ties into it in a way that's more than just the belief in God and Jesus as, you know, the underlying storytelling. But I think there's a lot of movies that just sort of, they go with Roman Catholicism for the symbolism and the touchstones just because that's the big that that's what was yeah. there you know and i kind of i i would be curious to look at some of the decision making there and how how direct versus just circumstantial the decisions a lot of directors make when they include that stuff is like the hellraiser films uh i feel like there's the same thing at times you know there there were touches of things that strike me as specifically sort of like more catholic or orthodox uh 
But I think we kind of established the pinhead certainly doesn't really give much of a shit about any specific sect of Christianity if he cares about it at all. He's obviously Does familiar it with like it. Like he cares what God thinks. It's, exactly. You know, and he's not. Does it look like I care what specifically Pope John Paul II? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it was. It's, yeah. it, he seemed like yeah, he was aware of Jesus, but eh. And yet, you still have that same sort of tendency towards you know the big stained glass windows and and uh, Catholic altars and, and yeah. priests and whatnot. So anyway, that's a that's a thing yeah. that's been I've been thinking about. Do you have yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, and the, the other thing is that in that that they do that, but they also have a tendency to set up like some sort of opposite, not not opposite, but other faith. Like in this movie, there's all of like the Native American stuff that is you know shown to be as you know, supernaturally active as the Catholic stuff. Yes, which and, I thought was very interesting. Yeah, and I mean, um, Exorcist did that too, sort of. I, I think they cut this out of the original release, and then when they re-released it in the 90s, they put it back in, but that opening scene that takes place in a Babylonian temple where it's implied that, you know, the thing, that there's like some sort of horrible, you know, Babylonian demon released, like pre-Christian, and that's yeah. what's inhabiting her. So yeah, there's that crossover. And um, what's the other one? Um, I haven't actually seen this one all the way through, but, uh, fuck, um, the one with the poltergeist, poltergeist, where they've got, like, the gypsy woman, and they've got, what, I, was it, was that, was that the movie with, like, the Native American burial ground, where the house was probably. built on it, and that's why right. it was haunted? Yeah. Probably. There, <laughs> there's all that, the, the, there, there's that sort of crossover, which makes you, which I think it's easier to use Catholicism in cases like that just because the trappings are so obvious that you could differentiate it from another thing. Whereas if you take just like, you know, a really plainly decorated, I don't know, Calvinist church with like, you know, just like that one wooden cross and then just chairs, it's hard to um, make anything of it. In fact, um, what was it? Um, There will be blood. Have you seen uh, There Will Be Blood? I still have not. I need to see it at some point. There's a scene that takes place in a revival, um, and this was definitely during, like, anti-Catholic times, uh, so it could not have been Catholic. And it's just, like, a really, really plain thing where if somebody, where if there wasn't somebody, like, yelling about God, you'd have no idea what the hell's going on. You'd think it's just, like, a town council meeting or something. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I agree with you. Is that that where (laughs) I was going with this? Sure. (laughs) I'm always okay with that outcome. I know, yeah, it'd be, it's, it's something that I feel like I should just like watch out for more as I'm, I'm yeah. thinking about movies because it feels like, yeah, it's a real, it's a thing is what it is. Um, oh, the, although there's a really un-Catholic thing in this when, I don't remember if it's Gabriel or Lucifer describes hell to somebody and it's like straight up the Jewish version of hell where he's just like, you know, hell, I, no, it's definitely Gabriel talking to, um, talking to Thomas about it, he's like, you know, hell isn't, you know, lakes of fire and chains of ice. It's just being removed from God's presence. Um, and that's, you know, that's not a very Catholic conception of hell because, you know, Catholicism, as far as I know, it's big on the actual, like, you know, torment and punishment part. Yeah, well, it depends on which uh, which uh, era of it you subscribe to, but cl- certainly classically it's been very dogmatically, you know, you know burning in the, the fires of hell sort of. Uh, thing has been at least a big part of the the, the popular message. Um, yeah, no. It, well, and okay. So that's like, getting back more to the film, and less me vaguely rambling about films in general. Yeah, I, I think I like the fact that the film doesn't seem to be taking a particularly, uh, I don't know, like like, like clear eyed picture of some classic theology, and it's more sort of the Native American stuff seems to work. Uh, 
Lucifer. I don't think there was a single crucifix in this movie. Uh, I don't know if I saw one, but there was there was the conspicuous oh, crucifixion the, yeah, pose in the, in the in the oh, and then yeah, when he in, uh, the, in the morgue when uh, yeah, when Gabriel finds Uziel's body, he breaks into the the morgue and 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 toasts Uziel's body after laying. It what out is it that he puts a, on his head? He's got like this little container of liquid that he sort of rubs into his palm and uh, into his palm and uh, you know sort of pats uh, Uziel on the head in both like cheeks. Yeah, I, you, I you know maybe just something sacramental. It could even just be straight up holy water, as far as you know, as far as I could tell, or some sort of sacramental oil or something. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it had that it had that look to it. It seemed like a very like 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 some sort of like you know respectful rite sort of thing to it. But I, I don't know what the intention was. Um. But yeah, let's let's talk about let's talk about walking. Yes, because I feel like there, there's something that a Christopher Walken movie needs, uh, and this is our first data point, mm-hmm. uh, which is the time to Walken index. Because there's 23 minutes mm. into this uh, hour and I don't know 25 hour and 30 minute Walken film before Walken was in it, and I realize that, that the film is not titled the Christopher Walken. It's you know it's the prophecy and whatever, and it's not necessarily a problem for the film that he doesn't show up right away. But at the same time, I'm always kind of jazzed. To see him show up, and so this like this felt like a it was a little bit of a wait, and he, um, he and and they definitely gave him an entrance too, yeah, which he was down a door and licks some bloody viscera. Yeah, that's so. Um, wait, can you still hear me? This thing just went funny. Yeah. No, okay. Yeah. It. So what happens is um, you see him like outside of an apartment building again, um, and uh, you know he goes in there and it's the you know the apartment where there was that struggle you know he kicks the door and he's you know t- sort of walking nonchalantly and then he like bends down to the counter he sniffs like some you know entrail or something on the cabinet and then he just licks it like he gives it a and then not like pokes it with his tongue he gives it like a good solid lick and that's your introduction to Christopher Walken in this movie yep it's 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 a pretty good entrance uh so yeah, we 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 get our walk in there. There's I kind of I kind of don't want to recap the entire film because honestly, yeah. there's parts of the film that I like and parts of the film that are just kind of eh. and it, almost it, it anything drags at, at a lot of parts. A lot of the stuff in in Chimney Rock, particularly, is just kind of eh. I you know, for, Virginia Madsen is fine, but I've never yeah. like been super. It, like, I've never seen anything where I was like, man, you know, she was great in that movie. She really, yeah, you know, she's whatever. She's she's doing the part she's supposed to do, and and it's it's fine. But her character doesn't get a whole lot to do. Uh, the little girl is not very good. You know, I hate to shit on child actors because, like, whatever, you're a kid and acting is hard. Yeah. And but but you know, she's not really very good in this, no. and and she has to play a sort of important part, and so it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, all of the scenes where so she becomes possessed by the 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 ghost or soul of this um, veteran who just committed some horrible atrocities during the. Korean Korea. War, yeah, 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 in Korea, and there's scenes where she's supposed to like you know drop her head and you know assume his voice and talk about you know like killing people and putting them on stakes, and she totally blows it every time. Yeah, it's just, she does not manage to sell menacing creepiness in some uncanny possession of a child. Instead, she sounds like child actor told to say this line in sort yeah. of a weird voice. And, and then like, towards the end, where I think she's supposed to be still possessed when they go to the reservation, and she's just like you know it's like it's got its own water supply, its own food there's only one you know point of egress this is good and she doesn't even she she does not even her facial expressions change in that which is why the first time i watched it i actually missed that the second time i'm like wait what the fuck did she just say 
Yeah. Well, and it's funny because like that that that's a clever line the way they set mm-hmm. it up because she opens with like they get to the reservation, mm-hmm. uh, the, or wherever it was a specific place this this high butte, uh, where they're gonna do the uh, exorcism essentially the uh, Native American yeah. exorcism ceremony. And and her first words are, this is a good place. And there's a mm-hmm. beat. And that's great because you're like, she's like, oh, because you're supposed to be thinking, oh, okay. She's thinking, ah, oh, this is a, this is a good place. It's a safe place. And then she goes into the little, you know, isolated one, you know, you know, good position, own water supply, you know, with the right setup, a man could hold off an entire army from here. And you're like, oh, she's saying this is good tactically as a creepy possessed person, but it really doesn't sell it in the film. Yeah. It's our delivery is eh, enough that it's like, it, I put it together after the fact. It's like, yeah. oh, okay, that is clever on paper. But uh... there was another really, uh, this actually has nothing to do with this part, but there was another really weird thing where all the way, all the way at the end, when um, they're doing the exorcism ceremony and then Lucifer shows up to, you know, like finish Gabriel off. And he yells at them, you know, they all stop because, oh, shit, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. A car just went through a wall and now there's a guy that appeared out of nowhere. Um, and he yells something at them in whatever the hell, you know, Native American language uh, it's supposed to be. Um, and it's clearly, you know, keep going with the exorcism. And then Catherine turns to them and she just yells, keep going. And that's when they start. And just like, you'd think they know their own language. <laughs> hey, you know, the, the, the nice white lady needed to help. I don't yep. know. It was, yeah, it was an odd, yeah, yet another odd moment. Uh, things, recurring angel things. We talked about the blowing a kiss thing. They're weird fingernails. Uh, they they got weird fingernails. They do the perching with the purchase orders. Uh, they uh, they've got no eyes unless they decide to have eyes. Uh, and I don't know if Uziel was just like fuck it. I don't want to bother manifesting. Eyes. I think I'm that's have what some that was. He's like I, I'm not even going to talk to anybody. I'm just going to go beat Simon up, whatever. Um, but uh, they also Gabriel does this shing thing, which is a great little thing. And I think they bring it back in the the second movie and the third movie probably. Uh, but he just, a, a couple times, like he's trying to deal with humans, uh, or, or talking monkeys as he constantly mm-hmm. refers to them in the film derisively. Uh, he was trying to get in the morgue and the guard's like, Hey buddy, you can't be here. And he's like, just shh. And you know, gestures at the guy and he falls down, boom, stone cold. Yep. Does it later to a nurse, you know, when he's in a similar situation, but he also says shush a couple times to characters who don't immediately go comatose. He's, he's telling, there's that great scene in the church where he's talking to Thomas and he, you, know, you know how you got that dent uh, yeah. on your top lip uh, a long time ago before you were born. I put, I told you a secret and then I put my finger there and said, shh, you know, and, and, uh, and then Thomas doesn't fall asleep. And, and later on he shushes Catherine in what would actually may have, probably been a good situation to reduce the number of people he had to deal with but she doesn't get shushed either and so i'm wondering does he just really like saying shush a lot and only sometimes means it in a in a you know uh knocking someone out way or was there supposed to be some significance to the fact that they weren't shush like maybe it's an issue of faith or something and those other people were just muggles but these two are both spiritual in a way that makes them resistant to his jedi mind powers i don't know I'd like to think it was that, but I'm pretty sure it was just yeah. inconsistency. There was, although you know what that, that actually reminded me of um, was the uh, the sleep line in Dark City, where the strangers just come up to somebody and they just wave their hands in front of their faces and say, uh, "I think they just say sleep," um, ah. and the person just drops. And I, I wonder if that was a reference to this. Uh, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Uh. You know who did the uh, commentary track for that movie? 
Who? Roger Ebert. Really? Mm-hmm. Did he like it? I don't know. I've been. I, I still need to to track down a copy of the actual thing instead of watching on streaming. I will say that that's that's the. I, I'm I'm really totally happy uh, using Netflix as basically my sole source of TV yeah. and, and movies and such. But that is the one thing that I regret from not really bothering with discs ever anymore. Is it like commentary tracks? Yeah, and, and it's kind of okay because I I OD'd on them a little bit like early on. I was like, oh yeah, let's watch the commentary track, and a lot of them were just shitty. It's like you know. It might be a perfectly good movie with a dull commentary track, or it might be a shitty movie with an uninteresting. Yeah, it's like so. It's like I was watching them to watch them, and then I kind of got sick of them. So at some point, I should go back and actually just track down some really good ones, but uh, but not so much at this point. Maybe Netflix will uh, try and make a deal there at some point. Although I'm not sure if like studios would let them get away with that distribution wise. They still want to have some reason to be able to sell their own content directly. Yeah, I think uh, Cabin in the Woods was the first commentary track I ever watched for a full film. Huh. Yeah, I watched it for TV shows before, but never for a whole movie. I don't think I've ever watched it for a TV show. That's interesting. News radio. Uh, good commentary tracks. Interesting. I liked that show. Uh, an- another thing about this movie. So there's this, there's this scene. Simon digs up the colonel, sucks his evil soul out, holes up in a classroom, <laughs> Uh, one of the spare classrooms in the mostly unoccupied school where there's only one class and uh, a little uh, did, did you see the name? black uh, Mary Mary yes <laughs> did you see the blackboard up there by the way no the graffiti on the blackboard it had no. it said three things it said fuck bitch and Mary Jane <laughs> <laughs> cursing and weed man yep that's uh, that's what it's all about uh, so, so we get this setup where Simon's got the dark soul. He needs to get rid of it because he probably knows that Gabriel's going to come looking for him. Uh, and so he wants to put the soul into Mary for safekeeping, I guess. Uh, and we understand all that, but the scene is so aggressively done as sort of like a blurg child sexual abuse light yeah. sort of, uh, and, and and the thing is, I don't even necessarily object to the idea of them doing that if they were doing it for a very specific reason. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing in the film that really creates anything. There, there's no there's nothing uh, that the film does that's sufficiently interesting with the idea of maybe Simon's sense of differentness or separation from human taboos or whatever uh, to sell it as something that should actually have that weird dissonance. It's just straight up him saying things that could totally be cut out of context to be some sort of like you know film about a pedophile ring. Yeah, absolutely. And just yeah. like the the way cuz he cuz then he has to sort of puke the soul into her and then you know you get uh what do you call it Eric Stoltz basically making out with like a 10-year-old actress. Yeah, after being like I've got something very special to give you, yeah. to keep a the, secret, to keep it a come secret, here, stroke your face, why don't you close your eyes and then mouth kiss and it's like yeah. yeah. It just it felt kind of it felt kind of cheap. The, the prelude to that scene it happens twice. So what happens is that Mary finds them up there, and then they just hang out. And Catherine finds Mary up there. She's just like, "I'm not, I'm not mad at you. Just you know, go wherever the fuck, get out of here." And she starts talking to Simon. She's just like, "You know, what are you doing here?" He's just like, "I'm injured." It's like, "I'm going to call the police. They could help you." He's like, "No, they can't help me, Catherine." And she just sort of shrugs and walks away. And yeah, I'm wondering, was that well, angel well, powers? He, that must he, well, have been angel powers. Well, and he says more than that. I mean, I, I, he's like, I, I, I'm going to call the police. I wish you wouldn't. And it's like, and blah, 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 blah. And he says, I, I, I think you should go. And then she goes. And yeah, again, it's like, is this Jedi or is this just weird fucking character motivation? Was she just like, I have nothing further to say here. I'm going to go call the cops. 
and then Mary just pops up again. And she was just like, yeah, you know, I, hiding, I hit. Yeah. I'm a really clever girl. And I'm just like, did did Catherine not even make sure to, to see if he got off the floor? Did she not wonder why the footsteps stopped? Yeah, well, as we've established, these kids play a lot of hide-and-seek where they manage to mask their movements by pretending to walk one direction and then walking quietly. Yeah, that was, that was so. an amazing little bit of, uh, especially in a movie where you're dealing with, like, a soldier that was, uh, I thought that was pretty slick. Yeah. And then um, I, I wanted to say just, just like uh, another thought on the weird sort of uh, child molestation vibe of this. I feel like it actually would have worked better if they had managed to rearrange this, get this film, this part of the film earlier in the film, get it happening earlier before, again, if they'd gone with like leaving us in the dark, like instead of establishing Simon really clearly as some angel in some kind of mythological fight over big deal have him show up early on as the creepy guy who seems to do this weird abusive thing it would have been so much more effective because there would have been this reveal after the fact that oh it wasn't the skeezy thing we thought it was actually a different thing and it looked skeezy because of this weird lack of information i think that would have been much more effective if also more actively creepy but it is it still comes off creepy anyway so i don't know i don't know yeah i mean you you have to really if you're not if you're not meaning to make a scene creepy, you have to really fuck up pretty good to make the scene where Christopher Walken is surrounded by children less creepy. Yeah, yeah. And I have to I, say I, that yeah. scene was adorable when he's like <laughs> checking all the kids for for the soul. And yeah, Walken's under- trying to find uh, all the find yeah. find the soul because he knows it must be somewhere, and he's in a small town that has. 15 kids and three adults in it so and then he gives one of the kids uh his uh horn you know gabriel's horn the kid blows in it like it shatters one of the windows in the school and he's just like good job timmy have a mint on me and then he just sort of like is about to chuck it into the kid's mouth and then just looks in there to make sure it's in there i'm just like so you have mints on you and then um what the other thing was that um his uh what's his name uh fucking Jerry, his his zombie assistant, played by uh, Adam Goldberg, like one of the kids runs up to him. And he's just like, "What do you want? An autograph? Go away!" And I'm just like, "What? What happened there? Why was I, I really did not understand any of that? I really wish this movie had more Jerry in it." Yeah, he was pretty great. I would, I, I yeah, I like they and they they set up his character so much better than anybody else's like when you're introduced to him it's it's in there's a room and there's like a, a, a song playing and it's like supposed to be like some you know sort of corny sweet possibly like a children's song um and but there's like uh pornography and like food splattered on everything old food and maggots crawling around and a then noose. it pans to um wait, what'd you say a noose a noose yeah and then it pans to a picture of uh, Jerry and like his uh, girlfriend, I guess, and they never make anything of that. And he's also got that really big poster, like that drug poster in the back with like the different like drug slang stuff. It's, it's, it's a weird sort of like um, our crummy kind of poster and a uh, Dia de los Muertos uh, skull. And yeah, so they they set him up with all this stuff, and then they give him like the Walmart uniform, and I, I feel like he's he, in in some ways he's one of the most developed characters in this movie, counting Thomas and Catherine and and Simon. Yeah, he, yeah. There's 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 a lot there's a lot of li- weird little detail about him that we don't get anything out of, but like he's such a a character that like I kind of would like to know more about him. Yeah. Whereas there's, I feel like. Yeah. 
we're told very explicitly yeah. a lot about Thomas, but none of it's super interesting. Yeah. So it's there's the, the the scene where um him and uh, him and Gabriel are driving to dig up um the the colonel's body to get the soul out, and for some reason he says, "I can't see." Did you did you get that part? Was that was that the was that the captions again? Because it, uh, it felt like almost a throwaway line, but he's just like, you know, I can't see. Was I, I he think just it's just because it was road being dark. Yeah, I think it was just oh, driving okay. at night. Is is all it was. Uh, I really yeah, want to. Else with it. I, I really wish there was like a prop, like you know, prophecy Gaiden movie where it's just the adventures of Gabriel and Jerry <laughs> getting <laughs> into trouble. Awesome. Yep. Um, but uh, I I, I want to talk briefly about. Uh, chemistry in this film and basically the almost total lack of it. Yeah. Like there's, I feel like there's nothing going on really with Thomas and Catherine. And to, to some extent, that's they, fair they, because they're thrown together by this dumb situation and they shouldn't be falling in love or anything. But uh, but they're kind of stiff. Uh, basically, kind of everybody in the film is stiff. The only scene that struck me as like a sort of nice, natural, quiet chemistry was between Thomas and Joseph the coroner guy. Uh, in a couple of their scenes together, they've got a real sort of patter. And like uh, when, when Thomas is saying, you know, after they find that the body's been torched and he says, I got to go to Arizona and, and, and Joe, the coroner uh, is like, go figure it out. Then call me. And it really felt like an accommodating boyfriend saying, you know, do what you need to do. I'll miss you, but go take care of it. I know it's your job, but, uh, you know, uh, know, give me a call. You know, keep me in the loop. I want to hear your voice, you know. You know, like I could believe that they just were, you know, in a relationship. And no one else in this film seemed like they knew they were in the same room or not reading lines. It's, yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's like sort of an affection between Catherine and the students and especially Mary, but it doesn't, it, it clearly looks like they're trying to the, for that and it just doesn't, yeah. doesn't go off very yeah. well. It feels like a scripted teacher-student relationship thing yeah. more than anything. There's, there's one point when uh, Christopher Walken, uh, he's looking for the colonel. Uh, this is a total tangent, but I, I wanted to say, uh, I, he, he, he says, stop the car. Yeah, he says, stop Stop the car, you know, and that's basically that is exactly you know the the high end of my yeah. Christopher Walken impression. It's like it's the classic him shouting thing, and it just it made me smile. The, uh, the, yes. the 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 grave digging scene. There was actually two other things I found really funny about that. One is that he's sort of like perched on the grave while um while Jerry's digging. Yep, and um, so they they get they get the thing open and they're just, and he's just like well I can't stay it's like or he's he like he's addressing the body he's just like I gotta go give me a kiss and then he like does that thing where he's gonna suck his soul out and I I like the fact that they sort of lampshaded that that was you know <laughs> yeah it's it's definitely what it looks like they're they're making out yep um briefly before that too he's like oh Jerry it's not what's on the inside yeah what's on the inside it's what's on the inside ooh and he does this crazy hand jazz hand yeah. ooh thing that I loved it was there was um yeah, this oh, man the other enjoys thing in his that, work yeah when uh, Jerry actually hits the coffin and you know they open it and he like walk and just like jumps down but all the angels are really light on their feet so he lands with like a little flourish and twirls around <laughs> <laughs> I, I I enjoyed that. There's um there's this movie I don't remember the name. I'm gonna look it up while I tell you this. It's got Christopher Walken in it. I th- it felt like a direct to video thing. Um it had Jay Moore and a couple other guys where Christopher Walken plays a um he plays a 
like a mob guy that like these four other guys like a like a made man that these four other like low lives kidnap and then they torture for some oh um, shit yeah and i what I was that yeah i can't remember the name of I, it and i don't think i've seen it yeah but there's this there's this um so what happens is that like he's tied he's, he's the whole movie is tied up in a chair and he just sort of like brings them down psychologically like entirely through conversation and there's this great one scene where that where he's tied up and there's lightning outside and lightning hits like you know whatever supplies the power to the house and all the power goes out and they're all like look around all freaked out and christopher walken's just like ooh spooky <laughs> the entirety of what i remember of that movie is that line um yeah, speaking well, of him being tied up i'm gonna segue this shit like crazy uh that's sort of turning the tables on a couple of scenes that i want to talk about one in this movie and one in another with mm-hmm. walking as the interrogator under you know menacing threat of you know torture and death and annihilation there's a scene in this film where you know, the angel Gabriel is interrogating the angel Simon in the schoolroom after Simon's already managed to molest the soul away. Uh, and Gabriel's looking for the soul. And so he's interrogating Simon. He wants to find out, you know, what happened to the soul, what Simon did with it. So he can go get it, take it up to heaven and win the war. Uh, and he's, you know, doing this sort of like, sort of ha ha, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of like conversing, sort of like sarcastically joking about stuff, but also deadly serious. And clearly there's the very real threat that, you know, Gabriel's going to kill Simon here. Now, Walken uh, had a role in basically the same sort of shoes in True Romance. Uh, the, you know, Christopher, C- C- Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette and Dennis Hopper film. Uh, is, where, that, is that a Lynch movie or am I confusing it with something? I, I can't remember if it was Lynch or not, actually. It seems like it could be, but at the same time, it seems awful no, that, that too coherent to yeah, be. Yeah, that wasn't Lynch. It would have been was, a little bit It's a little Quentin bit Tarantino funny. wrote it, though. Yeah. So, but, so walking in that is playing some Sicilian mobster who's trying... I don't even remember. It's been a while, so I don't remember the specific of the plot. But basically, uh, uh, Christian Slater somehow got in trouble with uh, Walken's mob character, and so Walken goes and uh, interrogates his dad. Dennis Hopper is playing his sort of estranged dad. And Walken is, you know, very sort of like they're having this patter while Walken's clearly got him tied to a chair and is threatening him. And at some point, uh, Hopper says something uh, funny and stingy to sort of piss off Walken. And, and Walken has a guy like cut his hand open, just like slice his palm to be like, hey, we're serious here. We're really fucking serious. And then it sort of accelerates and, and Hopper continues to refuse to relent and then Walken has him killed. And so, so structurally, it's like they're very parallel scenes. And it'd be interesting to sit down and sort of look at them side by side because I feel like the difference is Gabriel is a lot more actively angry uh, and open about being angry in this film during the scene versus Walken's character as the mobster kind of tries to keep it on an even keel and keeps up a, a tight sort of grin through much of the interrogation in True Romance. But yeah, I thought it, it really struck me watching this. Like, oh, hey, this is kind of the same scene with the same actor. So yeah. be interesting to look just, at it. Yeah, I, I should take a look at that because Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken in a scene that's like Pacino and De Niro. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's somewhere like it's, it's around the third act of the film, right. uh, somewhere in there. So also, yeah, I was no, thinking I of Wild at Heart. Ah, yeah, that, yeah, different. Uh, <laughs> little mythological note, you have to tear out an angel's heart to kill them. Like, when yeah. angels are on Earth, they aren't really full-on, invincible angels of God or whatever that could presumably only be killed by other angels or whatever. So they're a little bit more, they're, they're mortal, Chris, you know, Eric Stoltz says early on in the film. Mm-hmm. 
but they're still sort of badass. And yeah, you can slow them down and hurt them pretty bad, but, uh, but yeah, you got to tear the out their heart to kill him. Uziel tried to tear out uh, Simon's heart, like in their initial confrontation. And he got he got in there a bit, but he didn't get to it. Yeah. But it's implied that that almost kills Simon, which is weird because that really wouldn't kill a person. It would hurt a lot. And, I don't. I don't know. think they. I don't think they were super clear about it. My impression was like it hurt Simon, mm-hmm. but then he manages to, I guess, walk all the way to Chimney Rock. Yeah. <laughs> they never really clarify how yeah. he got there. Maybe he took a bus. I don't know. But anyway, he walks into Chimney Rock, and he's actually kind of okay. Like, he's not in super great shape or anything, but he's still kicking, and then he's a lot worse once he gets the soul. Yeah. Like, oh, and that seems uh, to be the thing really... That's doing it then. Yeah, and it was like, a little bit confusing. I was like, eh, it was a little muddled, but... Uh, also, he had a really great line there that's like one of the few oddly funny deliveries. Like, when Mary first finds Simon mm-hmm. sitting up in the classroom... He, she sort of comes across him when she was playing that hide and seek game and he's laying there and he says, hello there, young lady. And he's really sort of struggling to get it out. And it, it's great. It's actually really funny and sort of like a, this guy is trying so hard to be formal and polite <laughs> while obviously very, very uncomfortable, you know, physically. Uh, and then again, it just like totally didn't fit the film at all. And so they did nothing with it, but it was kind of. For a guy who got basically fired from Back to the Future for not being funny enough, it was an odd little note of, you know, weird, funny humanity. So did we ever talk uh, about that? That he was supposed to be in Back to the Future? Yeah. I'm sure we must have, but if we yeah. didn't, he was supposed to be back in to back in the future. There's uh, publicity stills of it. Oh yeah, it, it, there's more than publicity stills. He wasn't just supposed to be. They shot almost the entire film with him. Really? And then they reshot the whole fucking thing. With McFly, well, uh, <laughs> Michael J. Fox. <laughs> Originally, the character was named Eric Stoltz, and it was a true life story about Eric Stoltz' adventures in time. Yeah, no, they they shot like the whole fucking thing, and they're like, you know, it's not working. Let's get somebody else. Yeah, uh, and the, I don't know that was much that Reichman of that or Zemeckis. Uh, I don't remember Zemeckis. I think because either one of them must have had a lot of pull to do that. <laughs> well, I think it was going to be a big a big thing, so like they managed to pull Zemeckis. It off, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's um, you know what there was um in 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 this movie the one that we're supposed to be talking about, <laughs> yes. um when she finally like you know several days later oh no no this is after they blow up there there's a big fight scene in um inside of a uh, trailer which sort of just like it 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 actually looked pretty good and I suspect that's because they had so little room to actually do the fight scene that you couldn't have screwed it up because otherwise it would have just looked way too terrible um, it also reminded me of uh, what was it Kill Bill Part 2 because there was a fight scene yeah. a trailer in that as well but um yeah, so at the end, the way that they, they, they solve this is by blowing up um, Mary's family's trailer, which is where they live. Yep. Um, so yeah, uh, Catherine blows it up by shooting at it three times, and the third shot manages to hit the propane tank, which causes this giant explosion. But anyway, so after the explosion, and they think that uh, Gabriel's dead, but he's not, um, and... Thomas convinces the cops that just like he's not dead, but yeah, the cops on him. Well, he doesn't convince them that he's yeah. not dead. He yeah. just convinces them to. Uh, Catherine's like, just yeah. do it, Joe. Just fucking handcuff the guy. But um, I don't remember if it was that scene or maybe it was a different scene. But anyway, she's talking to a cop, 
And no, this must have been a different scene because this is back when, uh, what's his name, was still alive. Simon was still alive. She's talking to the cops and she's just like, yeah, you know, we get we got this vagrant in here. And the cop is just like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, we'll have a cop there in the next couple of days. You know, it's like, in our experience, these guys aren't very much trouble. I'm like, really? A vagrant in a public school? Like, literally in the school, living there and talking to children? That That's, you guys, you guys don't have a lot of problems with those kind of guys? I think, uh, I think I think that the, the thesis, the hidden thesis of this film is that it's a universe in which cops just really don't give a shit. Because like every every time we have a police related interaction, there's a real lack of giving a shit. Like like the fact that 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 the coroner's like, hey, yeah. So it turns out this Bible is ancient and it's the oldest Bible in the world. So you know, be careful with it. Not you can't have that. Bring it back. <laughs> You know, and hey, I think we found some sort of weird, uh, you know, corpse of an angel. Well, that's pretty weird. Let's just keep it on the down low for now. Or yeah, the the hey, yeah, don't worry about that vagrant. Maybe here's the thing that's going on. Maybe the entire film is actually. Have you ever seen the Last Temptation of Christ? Uh, Most Willem of Dafoe? it. Okay, so <laughs> did you see the very end? Because that's kind of important. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> But you know, but, it's it's a funny story. I this was just literally right when we got Netflix, and I had a couple of Netflix things at home, and one of them was Last Temptation of Christ. I got it just to watch by myself, and we were having Thanksgiving dinner with my mother. I think my grandfather was still alive then. My other grandmother, yeah. But so my two grandmothers, my grandfather, none of whom speak Eng- spoke English at any particular level of function, and. Just after Thanksgiving dinner, everybody just gather around to watch a movie that we had. And my mom was like, do you have anything? I'm like, I've got – I had Baisemois, which she yelled at me for renting. She was just like, if you're going to rent pornography, just rent pornography and not movies disguised as pornography. <laughs> and the other one was The Last Temptation of Christ, which my entire you know Jewish family sat down and watched on Thanksgiving Eve as if it was some sort of tradition, which it was not. <laughs> but – um Go on. So yes, yeah, so so the the the, the final thing, uh, the 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 notable last temptation of Christ, the way the film does it, uh, is he gets nailed up on the uh, on the cross. You know, as spoiler alert, Jesus gets crucified, uh, and he's up on the cross, and then this uh, blonde-haired sort of androgynous figure comes along. Um, I think it may, it may have actually been like a like like a kid, maybe like a twelve or thirteen year old kid, you know, blonde hair, indeterminate gender, uh, very much the angelic trope comes along to him at the cross and says, "Okay, well, uh, it's okay now. You've done what you had to do. You accepted the burden that God gave you. Um, come on down now." And takes him off the cross and. And uh, he goes and he finds Mary Magdalene, and and we cut forward in a montage of him having a life. You know, they they have a home together, they're married, they have children, and all this. And there's this recurring uh, stuff. He he runs into uh, uh, Peter, who who's basically praising, uh, you know, you're preaching the word of what didn't happen because Christ didn't die on the cross. And he's like, that's not what happened. And Peter's like, you know, yeah, it's. The message is what's important. You know, the details are not important. It's it's you know the message, and 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 so he's having this weird sort of Jacob's Ladderian sort of Jacob's Ladderian Ladderian. That's a word. Uh, the, the, this whole sort of like you can tell it, it, it's signaled very much, especially if you're at all familiar with the Christ story. That obviously Christ didn't come off the cross and live a happy life for a number of decades or whatever. Um, and the angel figure keeps recurring and doesn't age, but keeps being there. And eventually Christ sort of figures it out that this is all a lie being told him. This is a temptation. Uh, 
and that Satan's basically just trying to get him to not follow through on his deal. And so then he sort of snaps out it, and we're back on the crucifix, and he's still there, still dying, and he's like, uh, he shouts, it is accomplished, his famous last words, and, and that's the end of the film. Uh, so I'm saying, my argument here is the prophecy, everything after Thomas's freakout uh, on the floor of the church during his priest induction is some sort of fever dream, uh, spiritual journey, maybe Luciferian temptation. And that's why all the cop stuff doesn't make a whole lot of sense because he's never been a cop because he's still a priest in training lying on the floor of a church. And he's just sort of imagining this lazy version of police procedurals and everything that doesn't quite make sense doesn't quite make sense because it's just him living out this weird little temptation dream about like a life different from the tortured visions of the war in heaven that he's experiencing in reality. Based entirely uh, on the first, what, two seasons of Law and Order? Exactly. <laughs> you know, he's seen some cop procedurals, but he didn't pay a whole lot of attention. He fell asleep usually. But, you know, so that's what's going on. That's there you go. That's prophecy. <laughs> that's that's your answer. Definitely works better than what the movie sets up, which is nothing. <laughs> there, there don't seem to be. Yeah, that, that's the thing that bugs me. There don't seem to be consequences to anything that happened. Like at the end, they're just back to status quo. You know, shitty towns, shitty. You know, uh, Thomas has his faith back, but you know, what's how much is that worth to him now? And and Satan has kind of menaced yeah. him with the last line, which you know, don't yeah. sass Lucifer. Just be <laughs> smart. Just hold your fucking tongue and let the devil walk away because you don't want to get him specifically on your bad side. That seems like a really dumb plan. Yeah, it, it felt like that last part where he, you know, like the uh, they actually did this '90s horror movie thing that I want to talk about, but I don't know enough movies where they do this, where the you know where there's like a supernatural threat the whole movie um and then it, it's it only takes physical form at the very very end and it's like this really grotesque physical form like they poltergeist they did that i think yeah uh, what is it stephen king's it did yeah. that um i think the frighteners did that and i mean you know ghostbusters um but yeah the, this movie does that too where the, they you know the uh the, they their their big fx shot is all the way at the end where first mary is just like made to look really grotesque as she vomits out the soul and then the soul you know takes the physical form of a demon and is vanquished um anyway so as as this all is going on um and and lucifer finally you know gets gabriel's heart out and kills him or you know drags him back to hell or whatever they're doing um he then tries to get uh, what do you call it, Thomas and Catherine's souls. He's just like, hey, why don't you guys come home with me? I love you more than Jesus. And they're I both like, no. And I feel like that's almost like an impulse buy at the supermarket. We're like, chips? Yeah, all right. I, I want some chips. And you just sort of put it in your cart and ring it up with everything else. He was just like, well, as long as I'm here. <laughs> Might as well try and get some souls. Maybe if I just ask them, they'll say yes. But I loved – okay, so Viggo Mortensen, I don't know if we mentioned this previously, but Viggo Mortensen, uh, uh, Aragorn himself, uh, is, is Lucifer, and he's great. Uh, I, I thought he did a great job with his stuff. I love that line you were mentioning, the I love you. Because like he's standing there, he's 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 ripped out Gabriel's heart, killing Gabriel. So I guess there's never another prophecy movie with Christopher Walken in it. Uh, I'm really curious what they do about that. Actually, he tears out Gabriel's heart. Uh, his little Cenobite henchman Lucifer yeah, has a weird looking a Cenobite, Cenobite yeah. Igor who hauls off Walken's body uh, to who knows where. Um, the implication is that Walken's going to die and go to hell. Uh, and, and then he, he eats some of his heart and he gives a little weird animal gurgle because probably uh, Archangel, Archangel uh, heart is really good stuff if you're Satan. 
Uh, and then he's standing there bloody-lipped, which is a nice callback to the colonel in the Korean films, by the yeah. way, with a cannibalism. Standing there with, with blood all over his mouth, and he's sort of like being weird. And he's like, come home with me. And he's like, and he says, yeah, I love you. I love you more than Jesus. And it's just it's super creepy. And he tends you know? his fingers when he does it, like Monty Burns. Yeah, the whole thing. It's like just this sudden naked menace that I thought was really nice. And if, if, it, if it was in me to make a weird decision for someone, I would have ended the film right there. Yeah. Boom. All of a sudden, you've taken care of the problem, and Satan's got his eyes on you, and he's hungry. And boom, roll credits. But uh, it would have been a little bit weird. I feel like all of the Lucifer stuff, I, the the character comes off really weird because he's menacing, but at the same time you feel like, it, and it's not even like an acting thing because you know Viggo Mortensen's, you know, he, he's Viggo Mortensen, he's he's a good actor. Where it, it feels like Satan is like explicitly looking for like the most offensive or like weirdest thing to say in that moment just to keep people, um, you know, off uh, off kilter, and you know he like when he mentions. Uh, what is it? It's like when he's talking to Catherine, he's like, you know, we can talk or I can stuff your face with your mother's feces. It's just like, hey, that was weird. Yeah. Um, and then he eats a flower and I, he's got all of these weird little affectations that. Um, I love the flower eating, though. Yeah. This yeah, random throwaway like, thing. It's like, I'm just going to eat this flower now. I suspect. I wish, I, or I hope that was ad-libbed, because he's just like, as he's talking about like the war in heaven, he's like, you know, picking um, petals off of a flower, and when he gets all of them off, he just eats the head of the flower. Um, I, I really hope that was ad-libbed. That, and uh, when they're dragging... Like uh, ad-libbed. Hmm? Uh, 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 uh. Um, when they're driving away uh, Gabriel's body, and you know it's like the the you know the eyes open scene where like you know it's cutting back and forth between Thomas, you know Gabriel with his eyes closed, Thomas Gabriel with and, and his eyes open. Yeah. Then it cuts to Thomas. Then it cuts back to Gabriel who winks at him. Did, did you did you catch that the wink? Yes, yes. That was I. I enjoyed that wink. I, I I enjoyed the wink. That was that was another example of like the lack of consequences, the lack of like people not giving a shit about things they should give yeah. a shit about. Thomas has really really insisted. This is right after the trailer explodes and Gabriel's laying there and the cops are assuming he's dead and and they Thomas and Catherine get them to cuff him and they throw him in the back of the car and they're getting ready to drive off and Thomas is sitting there and he's looking at Gabriel in the car and Gabriel's eyes open and we cut back to Thomas seeing that and we see Gabriel blink you know, wink at him. Uh, and then at no point does Thomas say, hey, hey, you guys, he's alive, stop. He's totally going to murder you, which is totally what was going to happen. Yeah. And Thomas had to know this and had to care and just says nothing, does not even try and alarm them about the fact that there is a murderous archangel in the back of their car who's totally going to kill them. And, and, I was, and yeah, like it happens like the next scene is Thomas and Catherine and uh, Mary and Mary's grandma in the truck driving along the road and there's the pieces of the cop car and there's the dead cop. That, that actually was a really the, the the way that they set that up like first there's like a whole bunch of shit on the road like garbage and then there's the door from the police car and then they finally pull up on the wreck with the dead police guys in it. I thought that was actually a good way to sort of lead into it instead of just have them pull up on it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that was that was nicely yeah. done. It's just a shame that it was yeah. nicely done on the tail end of yeah. like a complete lack of empathy from the main yeah. character. Who's yeah. My other question is that okay, so Thomas, it, you know, he got fucked up in during the explosion that was you know like quote you know killed uh, Gabriel, but didn't really. And they're all hanging out, and there's firefighters and cops nearby. Did it no? And and Thomas is like clearly he's just like this dude's alive you know, make sure, you know, put him away or something. Did at no point somebody was just like, hey, you know what? 
while we're waiting for the cops to get here, I'm going to get the shovel and I'm going to go decapitate that guy that tried to kill us. Or, hey, you know that gun you have? Can you can you just fire off a couple of shots into his head? Yeah. Nobody nobody thought of that. They just sort of like oh, no, left the dead angel body there. I don't know if the headshot would work, though. I feel like you kind of got to tear out the heart. I feel, I feel like stuff that's... It, stuff the head with garlic. Well, and actually, here's a question. Tearing out the heart, could you just shoot the heart real good? Like, is it enough to really just annihilate the heart in place? Dang. Like, it seems like if you could, like, shove a blender down there, that would, I don't know. Yeah, the rules of the game here are a little, are a yeah, little weird. And again, maybe we'll find out more. Maybe we'll find out more in Prophecy 2 and 3, much as the later Hellraiser films in their contrary, different ways tried to elaborate on some of the, the mythos of the original film that was left implied. Uh, let's see. There's, okay, there's a, there was a scene... Uh, with a cave full of angelic script that uh, Thomas oh, yeah. and Catherine find, and, and then they see on this cave wall this angelic script, and then it sort of like f- fades away to be a vision of an angel on a pike. Well, it, and doesn't, then- it doesn't just fade away. Like all the, the angelic script, it's like written on, it's, it looks like a limestone cave, just like all the walls are like white ish, and the angel script is written on there in black, and I, it looks like ash. Um, and then the angelic scripts just sort of like the black in it starts to expand and that forms the shadow of an angel being tortured. Oh, that right, was, yeah. yeah, that was pretty slick. I, I thought it was okay. I guess I was not super, <laughs> I, I, I feel like this is just like a, an effects thing. Like I liked the idea and it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I liked sort of like the vision of the war in hell and the, the aftermath of the battlefield of like countless angels on pikes moaning, but, uh, they really the have a shot. weird way of war. Yeah, because that, that, that was every just. There's so many pikes in heaven. Yeah, and and nothing else. Maybe that's what they perch on. on. It's a yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the uh, the the shot the shot has this very sort of diorama look of mm-hmm. of, of this view of the vista of of all the angels, and uh, and I don't know if that was like intention specifically like we want to have this diorama look or if they're like we can't afford not to or just like a little bit of both and making the best of it but it i i think I it, it looks like that's the technique that they do with miniatures to make them to try to make them where you can't they're, they're, to, at a certain because i mean that must have been done with miniatures you know I, I th- um yeah like, like like yeah had a little bit of a, a clash of the titans old school you know hand animation uh, with lots of blue screening, yeah, uh, yeah. I just, I, I wasn't. I wanted to like that shot better because it seemed like it was supposed to be a really big grand reveal, and it just it fell a little bit flat for me just because it it looked. I don't know. It looked like they were reaching and not quite grabbing. Yeah, I mean, as a as as a what do you call it? As a, as a big reveal, it, it doesn't work. But as like just a scene where that happens, it's all right. But it, yeah, I mean, in this kind of movie, that was like a big. That was like a, that was a big money shot. Yeah. Another thing that didn't quite work for me, uh, you talked about Catherine blowing up the trailer. And mm-hmm. yeah, so she's like, Gabriel's, they've had the fight inside the trailer. Catherine's outside. Mary's outside. Catherine's got the gun. And Gabriel's menacing toward her. And then we get this big sort of, you can't have her thing. You know, three punctuated shots with cuts away. And then she pulls the trigger three times. And we get close-ups of the various parts of the trailer. And she hits the propane take, which mm-hmm. this is not a... This is not a 
like thousand gallon propane tank either. This is like a little. This is one that you can go get like you know refilled at Seven Eleven. So I feel like blowing up the entire trailer was maybe. I suspect uh, that gun uh, that Thomas has is some sort of magic holy weapon because everybody seems to do real good when they're firing it. Yeah, you know kinda. he it's, he he gets off like you know a good bunch of he oh he he gets off a shot right into uh what's his name Jerry's head yep. like right into the center of it. Um, you know, she gets that shot off and even Mary at one point, you know, gets a couple of, uh, shots into Gabriel, which, you know, like, I, I think it was two, she, she got two shots in him, right? Which, you know, like yeah. one makes sense, but that would have like, you know, she didn't look like she was, you know, adept at revolver shooting would have fucked up her wrist, but no, she gets two. Yep. So yeah. I, I suspect that's, you know, like a magic weapon. That's probably, it's probably not just bad writing yeah. about guns. Um, ah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that her you can't have her thing felt very like you know this is a mama bear Ripley and alien sort of thing, yeah. but it really just felt like it yeah, kind of a thud. Um, I I want to talk about Gabriel as a character because he's interesting. Uh, he really struck me as being essentially the you know archangel version of an asshole militant atheist attitude wise. Like he 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 really came off like one of those guys who was just so tired of everybody else's bullshit because he knew the deal yeah. and he was just like not even going to put up with your shit in a way that I kind of associate with someone being a huge asshole about uh you know like anti theism basically yeah. except for in this case that's a bit ironic uh, given his status. Uh, there was yeah I mean there was all that really not terribly comprehensible dialogue about the word and hearing the word yeah, the and word not hearing and the, the arguments word. and yeah, him, his argument with, with Simon during mm-hmm. the interrogation sort of situation. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of like, and he, he's got a bunch of dismissive liners. He's like, at one point he says, the only thing you can count on in your existence is never understanding why, you know, mm-hmm. talking about the nature of things to Catherine when they were confronting each other. I kind of want him to get in an argument with Pinhead. I think I would like, I want to see my dinner with Andre, except for it'd be Gabriel and Pinhead sitting at a table, having a back and forth, you know, a theological discussion or, you know, a theological discussion just about their distinct word. Cause, cause I mean, think about it. Pinhead used to be a talking monkey, but then he's gone on this weird extra dimensional vector of experience. And you would have to think Gabriel would have to contend with that by sort of at least respecting that there was something more going on here than his traditional conception of like, you know, small-minded, short-lived humans scuttling around on the earth. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, um, I mean, at least in the first movies, the, it, it, at no point is it implied that, um, that the, the, you know, the, the Hellraiser hell is something people created, but just like that we ventured into. So, you know, and that's not, it doesn't look, you know, it's not Lucifer's hell, at least for the first few movies. So I, yeah, that, that, that's the thing. They never really make it clear why Gabriel is just like, Oh, native American religion. Sure. That'll work. Um, you know, they, it, it, the, the, that part felt a little weird to me just because of how, you know, bible the whole thing is. And it's not even like New Testament bible It's, it's mostly Old Testament bible except for the whole revelation of John part. Yeah. Um, but that's that's kind of what's fun about Revelation is it, yeah. it's, it it gets a lot more old school than most of the stuff in the New Testament. It gets back to some of that really crazy fire and brimstone shit. So, and that book they found the uh, what is it the the missing twenty third chapter of Revelation? Yeah, that, that was a really sturdy book. Yeah, but it only had about for, yeah. It was just like it's it's a Bible. It's an old Bible, and I'm just like that thing has I'm going to say two dozen pages in it. 
<laughs> and they're all like half an inch thick. I don't think that's the whole Bible. Yeah, it's like it could have been the 23rd chapter maybe. But uh, let's see. There's a couple. You know, okay, so the theology of this movie. And again, I'm really curious to see where they go with the sequels with this because I really don't remember at all. But the, the, the pretension in this, let me know if this is the same thing you got from it. The idea is ever since the war, the second war in heaven started however long ago it started. Uh, heaven is closed for business. This is what Satan was explaining late in, in the third act. Heaven is basically closed for business because the angels are fighting. And so people are just either, some of them are going to hell because hell's still open. And some people are just hanging around inside, you know, whatever, lurking in their bodies or something. Uh, so nobody's been going to heaven for a really long time. And, and all these souls are just sort of laying around there. And Gabriel's uh, Gabriel's plan was to take the evil soul from the colonel, take it up to heaven, win the war, and then reopen heaven. And Lucifer's argument is, well, but his heaven, if he pulls that off, is going to be terrible. It'll basically just be another hell, and hey, hell's my deal, so we can't have that. And he, Lucifer basically says, I will help you make this so that heaven is back open for business the right way, is the implied outcome of following... And and so we, we see the exorcism of the soul out of Mary, and it looks like a demon or whatever, and the light shines down from heaven, and we see the demon just sort of like disintegrate in the light of, I guess, God's power or whatever. Um, so is the implication that right then and there, that's the end of the war? Because the war was ongoing because they couldn't get past a stalemate. And then it seems like God or the power of heaven just eliminated this kingmaker soul so it doesn't seem like that would change anything so yeah, what exactly was lucifer arguing would occur there yeah that that line was 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 kind of weird um you know in a in a movie that was not this movie like somebody would like actually grasp onto that line being like hey wait a second there's consequences to this that we're not thinking about um but yeah because i mean that soul was hanging around in the colonel's body long after he died clearly um, uh, and yeah, it, I, I don't, I mean, why would just the exorcism of a, of a single, you know, demon open heaven back up? But then again, destroying that demon sort of nullifies the entire prophecy. Cause that, that was the prophecy. The prophecy was that the, the, not the demon or the, 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 the dark warrior soul. soul. Yeah. The yeah. dark warrior soul would, you know, that's what would end the war in and heaven. So you think maybe they just like, they, they mooted the whole point. Everybody felt it and they're like i feel a great disturbance in the forest and oh yeah. okay well fuck it let's let's call it a day maybe i, mean, I, I maybe. can't imagine anybody except god could open up the you know heaven to people and he's you know he's he's sort of like a, a conspicuous absence in the whole movie yeah he's being played very much as sort yes. of like a, a passive non-participant in anything yeah. that's going on yeah, both like both thomas and gabriel their problem is that god stopped talking to them but another thing, another thing here too that's confusing is Satan saying that uh, hell is still. Some of them find their way down to hell, mm-hmm. uh, but I feel like maybe he's just going and collecting is how they find their way down, because because he's he uh, they seem to be sticking around. They're they're not going to heaven. They're not maybe going to hell because because the dark soul really really hellbound it sounds like it sounds like one yeah. evil motherfucker obviously that guy's going to hell and yet they had to come and find him and satan didn't come and find him uh and you would think he would be in the business of knowing where these things are uh and the soul didn't find his way down to hell naturally so unless there's some sort of like you know waiting period uh yeah it's, it, 
I, I am so confused about the, the mechanics of this theological predicament that everybody finds themselves in. Uh, well, maybe that, it, that's what it is. We're not supposed to be able to comprehend God's plan. There's, there's, yeah, that's, that's what that, it means to have a soul, apparently. That's, that's the new a wizard did it. We are incapable <laughs> of comprehending God's plan for the narrative of this film. Uh, God. Yeah, At one point, Gabriel Gabriel puts a, a thing in his mouth when he's trying to track down uh, Mary at the mm-hmm. Indian uh, ritual, and he finds this pink thing by the road, and he yeah. puts it in his mouth. Was that a barrette? That's, I, that's yeah, it was. Yeah, I, it was either a Twizzler or a barrette. And yeah, I'm and I don't sure know. It'd be a Twizzler. It seemed it seemed very Pepto-Bismol pink. So yeah, okay. I kind of liked. I, I, I this. This says part of what I like about this movie is I've got the narrative line here. And then Satan stops Thomas from beating the archangel Gabriel to death with a tire iron. <laughs> There's a, a lot of things I like about the film is the fact that that's something I could put in my notes and I'm not being silly. That was, I kind of, I kind of liked that weird collapse of this theology down to this violent scene where someone's like, Hey, Hey, he's had enough. Stop beating up the archangel Gabriel. Uh, it's not know. even like a fist fight or like, you know, a big sword fight or a gunfight. It's just, you know, Gabriel with, you know, just there and Thomas has a uh, a pipe iron. Yeah, and he and just, just wails beat. on him. That was, uh, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was entertaining. And I like the fact that he just, that he appears out of nowhere. The Satan does at least and like stops the arm. Yep. I mean, that's sort just of grabs intervention. Yeah. It's, um, one thing I I cannot for the life of me tell if this was supposed to be witty on purpose, but like the scene where Thomas and Gabriel meet in the church, and you know Thomas is just sitting there, and then Gabriel shows up behind him, and he knows his name. He's just like, "How do you know my name?" Gabriel's like, "Well, you look like a Thomas," and I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, is it because he's doubting his faith that he looks like a Thomas, or is oh, that just a stupid line? That's you know, I can't tell. I, I didn't even think it was a stupid line. I just thought it was funny. Because uh, then he reuses it in the next scene. Yeah, yeah. Like, the little if you're going to like, do a callback, it has to be a callback. It can't be a call yeah. basically the same time. You're just sort of repeating yourself. You know, I, I actually like, I, and I think the, the doubting Thomas thing is, is a big implied thing throughout. Obviously, here's a guy named Thomas who is struggling with his faith. Ah! So yeah, it's, I think everybody except uh, Jerry and Catherine have uh, biblical names. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, and Catherine. Uh, I want to say Catherine's got some sort of biblical thing, but hmm. let me see what I can find. Yeah. There's, a, there's a Saint Catherine, I'm pretty sure. I mean, there's a Saint to everybody. But yeah, that doesn't necessarily say anything. That doesn't mean she was in, in ye old Bible. Yeah. Uh, but God, I, I want to say, I don't know, it's, it's going to be a really boring five minutes at, <laughs> at the web. Saying, but, but yeah, I don't know. It, it may, maybe, it's just, maybe it's just the St. Catherine thing that's making me think of it. Uh, Sister Mary Catherine, you know, is a uh, classic, you know, sort of nunnish name. So, But again, Catholicism, maybe that's what's going on there. Maybe it's more of a Catholic, a Catholic name than a biblical name. Uh, Have you noticed that Adam Goldberg has been playing characters of like roughly the same level of emotional development for 20 years he does it well you know he's yeah. uh he's it's uh it's it, it probably sucks to be typecast but it's uh, great to get work i imagine so um oh you know i wanted to say uh, another thing you, you mentioned uh gabriel and thomas in the church um and that's that's a thing that i feel like i feel like this is an increasingly a, a recurring theme in uh, horror movies that take church settings in general, but especially when you've got sort of like a Satan-y sort of thing going on. The idea of sanctuary in a church as sort of like a safe place in a horror movie, 
that I feel like it, uh, originally that was sort of a straight face thing where like, you know, an old school horror, you had the idea that a church was a safe place yeah. and obviously you couldn't just go live there forever. Uh, but you could at least, you know, take a little bit of sanctuary and then you have lots of films that then turn it on its head somehow. Um, yeah, or at least push the envelope on that. Like in, in Highlander, the, 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 the Kruger, the whatever, the, the big tall dude played yes. by Clancy Brown, uh, comes into a church. Uh, but I think he holds Kurgan. off on the Kurgan. Yes. He holds off on getting in a head chopping off fight yeah. with, uh, Connor, even though he's still being kind of dismissive of the whole, Oh, the church, holy thing. But then in this, instead of being able to hide in the church from your, your scary thing, you know, if, if your nemesis is an angel, I guess that's, you know, it, it's, you don't have the same sort of security cause it's kind of like, you know, hiding in someone's den, to get sanctuary from them. No, that doesn't. Yeah. Anyway, it just sort of struck me that whole, that whole hiding in the church, church's sanctuary, church's safe space for a, yeah. a brief lacuna from the, from the, the, the horror of the situation or whatever. And then, oops, yeah. the bad guy is and, in theory, a good guy. Yeah. And that's actually the thing. Like when Lucifer convinces Thomas is just like, you know, what do angels have? It's like, what's the thing that holds them together? Faith. And if you take that away, what do they have? Nothing. And then all the way at the end, when he stands up to Lucifer, he's just like, I've got my soul and I've got my faith. What do you have, angel? And I'm just like, is, is, was the like, arc of this movie to have Thomas become a man of God again by having contempt for angels? I guess. I don't know. It's, it, it is a weird thing because, yeah, like, it's got to be a very, in, in a sense, very de, uh, demystifying mm-hmm. uh, maybe sort of dispiriting eh? yeah. uh, experience for him to sort of like finally have like this sort of second chance at sort of encountering some very concrete evidence of faith and, uh, and then having it basically be a bunch of violent dick bags. Yeah. Uh, Cause I mean, what do you do? It's like, this is, this is the highest angel of all. And he's like, Oh, Hey, yeah, I'm a, I'm a mean scary guy who wants to tear a little girl apart to steal a soul so I can go up to heaven and murder a bunch of angels. That would, it, I, I feel like I would be, I don't know, exploring Buddhism at that point, <laughs> you know, try maybe something else. Cause yeah, the, the, the finding your faith again thing is such an obvious sort of move to go when you open up with like, you know, the doubting, but yeah. I don't feel like we were even left with a clear sense of where Thomas was with all that. Yeah. That's, Oh, uh, one thing completely not having to do with any of this. Um, th- when Lucifer and Thomas meet, so Thomas is doing what it turns out later is like a trap set to, uh, you know, s- uh, screw up Gabriel's car. But as he's doing it, you know, he's like get- tying a chain to a stake and then Lucifer just pops up behind him and starts giving him like a, uh, what do you call it? A shoulder massage. And all I could think of is like the hey brother thing from Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And I, I thought it was interesting how viscerally Thomas was reacting to that, too. Uh, but he, which, yeah, I mean, he honestly, lets him do it for, you know, a good few seconds. You know, he, he gets a couple of nice massage squeezes in there. Well, and, and Lucifer keeps his sort of arms around him in a pally, touchy sort of way that's like, you know, and Thomas the whole time is sort of squirming in a really obviously profoundly uncomfortable yeah. way with the whole thing, which, I mean, Satan's getting up all on you. Why wouldn't you be? But, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah I, I don't know. The whole, the whole thing was... Yeah, I feel like I'm running out of coherent thoughts. Long fingernail, like uh, Harvey Keitel in Taxi Driver. (laughs) Yeah, it does. I don't know if it's supposed to be sort of a clash thing or just a weird. I'm uncomfortable with how you 
accessorize thing or, or what? You know what I'd like to think? I, I just like to think that in 1993, this is just exactly what Vigo Mortensen looked like. <laughs> he just walked on the set. Yeah. He's like, hey, what are you shooting? The movie? I could, yeah, okay. I, uh, I'll be Satan. You got Satan in your movie? Maybe uh, uh, Pulp Fiction is a, uh, what do you call it, a, a sequel to this where, you know, um, Simon somehow returns back to Earth and he's just like, fuck it, I'm going to sell heroin. This, this, this war thing, I'm done. I'm yeah, and, s- and Amanda Plummer didn't actually die when the truck went through the wall. She just like got a concussion, and then she meets. And up that's with why she's the way she is in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, it all works. I think you've solved the you've solved the puzzle. Uh oh, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> oh, speaking of uh, solving puzzles, I was watching um, Ugly Americans. And uh, one of the major characters in it is like a half demon, half human. I, I, I just got the solving a puzzle thing. I'm, I'm <laughs> such a bad Hellraiser fan, but please continue. There's well, there's a puzzle box in it, and it moves exactly like uh, the puzzle box, like Lamarchand's box. Just there's two of them. It's like a two chamber puzzle box, and it's also got a vagina in it. Oh, uh, well, you know, like yeah. <laughs> like you do. Uh, it's, 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 it's the only, it's the only sex toy, uh, it's the only masturbation aid, uh, approved by Mensa. You gotta, you gotta do your work before you do your work. Uh, one more line speak, uh, tying it back to Hellraiser again, just in the tradition of Hellraiser at one point, Catherine says to, to, to Gabriel, uh, I think she shoots him in like the native American hut and then she's like, go to hell. And he says, heaven, go to heaven. At least get the zip zip code code right, right. which I thought was a great line. And also, again, shouting go to hell is such a Hellraiser classic that, you know, it's nice to see it happen in any other context as well. uh, There was, um, yeah, actually that scene. um, So what happens is like they're in this hut and the hut's got this really, the, the door is just like really thin pieces of wood with holes between so you can see through it and he 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 tells you know he uh what's his name thomas is going to go head off gabriel and he gives um he gives what's uh catherine is good he's like it's got one shot lock the door and the door is like really clearly this flimsy thing that i there there was she clearly doesn't lock the door when she runs inside because it doesn't look like there's anything on it to lock and, you know, um, Gabriel kicks right through it, which he didn't have to do. He could have just opened it, but I guess drama. Um, sure. Yeah, that, that was, that was kind of weird. Um, yeah. This movie, you know, it's, yeah. it's, I, I, and I, I, I feel like I get into such a negative place uh, sometimes. Uh, I mean, it's really nitpicky, but yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of problems with this movie, you know, the little problems and, and some bigger structural and, and thematic problems where mm-hmm. things that could be, Really interesting if they'd made it clearer. Uh, don't end up being very clear. Uh, some of the character motivations not super consistent. Right. Uh, you know, so there's things, and, and and I've said this seven times now, but I'm curious to see what they do with two and what they do with three to try and yeah. uh, sort of maybe even some of the stuff out. But uh, but I'll, I I still do. I I like the movie. I think it's I think it's a good little flick, if a flawed one. You know, I wouldn't recommend it as a masterpiece to anybody, but it's a uh, it's a really uh, it's a really solid little story, and I, the cast is great, and and the story is interesting, if you know a bit incoherent. So I don't know. It's, it's sort of where I ended up with it. I don't know uh, how you ended up feeling about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a medium budget horror movie from 1995. There's you know there's only so much you can expect out of it. 
that I, I think for what I was expecting, it was, you know, it was fine. Like there's, there, there's niche to be picked in, in any movie. And I mean, right now we're just doing it for, for entertainment purposes. But if I was just, you know, watching and be like, yeah, that's, you know, it's the prophecy. It's a fun movie. Um, there's, but there's, there's two things I wanted to mention uh, before I forget that bugged me. Or not bugged me, but, you know, just... The first thing is when they're having that vision of, like, all the angels, you know, uh, on pikes in heaven. Did you notice there's a flag there? Why do <laughs> angels need a flag? <laughs> I don't know. Like, is there a standard bear? Are they, having, are they confused as to who's on whose side because they're all naked? Um, that, that, that part was a little weird. The other thing that, um, when they finally vanquish the spirit, one of the Native American guys, he's just like, the enemy ghost is gone. I feel like that's something you, you, you would see, like, pop up on the screen of a Nintendo game after <laughs> finishing a level. Enemy ghost defeated. Yeah, it, it did feel, uh, I wasn't quite sure, uh, what the story was with that line, because it felt a little bit, uh, a little too on the nose, a little bit, uh, yeah. It's like, oh, sorry, we missed it. You know, we missed the giant, like, beam of light descending from the sky yep. and taking away this demon that wasn't there before because uh, the girl had only just vomited it up. <sighs> but, yeah. So, prophecy. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think I may have said all I have to say about it. But uh, have we talked about what we're going to do uh, next fortnight? I don't think we have. We'll have to figure um, did that you, out. Do we? I mean, we had a couple of things on the slate that we were considering. Um, my uh, what was my suggestion was doing either uh, what do you call it, Death Proof or Planet Terror, whichever one came first. Um, and then somebody mentioned Phantasm, oh, which right. we could do as like a sort I of double thing with uh, John dies at the end. And I still have not seen Phantasm, so if you, you want mean to do either, that, why don't we aim for that? Why don't we let's let's say it right now. Let's put it out there. We'll watch. We're going to do a double feature episode next fortnight, uh, Phantasm and John Dies at the End. John Dies at the End, I did watch about, I don't know, sometime in the last year. Uh, Phantasm will be brand new to me, so. Did you want to do both in the same episode, or did you want to? Yeah, no, I, I think we should give it a shot. Right, yeah. if, if you don't think that's, like, well, okay, were they, are, are, see, I don't the think they're Not, thematically related enough, that, that's the thing. I oh, mean, okay. directed see, by that, the same guy, but like something like 30 years apart and I don't think there's a like with Death Proof and Planet Terror you could do the, the that would yeah. be better as a double feature okay. I misunderstood then let's not do that let's do one of those and do Phantasm we'll do one of those let's do Phantasm All that right. sounds that sounds fantastic tick fan fan fantasmatic good night everybody let's <laughs> see you in a couple of weeks <laughs> Oh, I guess we could say the stuff about go to the blog. Go to the blog. We have such films to show you. Go to the Facebook page. Google us. Go to iTunes. Rate the the podcast. Uh, toss in a review if you're feeling wordy or even slightly wordy. That's all helpful stuff. You can find us on Twitter. If you go to the Tumblr blog, it's got our contact information and all that stuff. And uh, click on things and say hi and tell us what you want to tell us about things. And there we go. That was a pretty concise version of yeah, that. Yeah, Facebook group's been a little quiet lately. I mean, that's... Yeah. We, we haven't been posting yeah, a lot of stuff there. But yeah, make some noise. Get, yeah. get us some flame wars. Yeah, yeah. Start yelling terrible things at each other about trivialities in uh, media productions. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we'll look forward to that. We'll see you in a, in a couple weeks. For real, this time we'll stop recording. Yeah.